Welcome to Justice Losers Explorations, where your favorite unqualified podcast hosts dig deeper into the questions about arts and entertainment that intrigue us. I'm your host, Preston, joined as always by my delightful co-host, Batman. Rings of Power! House of the Dragon. Those are shows. Boy, are they. They're big old shows. They have been kind of destined for conflict this yeah. summer into fall. Yeah, they are both uh, prequel streaming only shows of pre-existing fantasy franchises that started as books. Yep. And they're they're very similar. Yep. And kind of what they're what they're setting out to achieve. So which which one's better? Let them fight. So yeah, that's that's what this episode is. Yeah, we're going to talk it through. We're going to discuss their aspects. And yeah, everything compared to and then eventually come to a conclusion. Which one won the streaming wars? The final answer that will exist for all of eternity. Spoilers, it's Andor. Get out of here. <laughs> what uh, What a couple shows. Golly. That, uh, honestly, I I was expecting those to be so much more mediocre than they both were. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's start off. So uh, we'll, we'll do kind of a point by point uh, comparison of yeah, the two. We'll go through and break down some stuff. Yeah. Um, should we do some big high level thoughts first or yeah, just save that absolutely. for the end? Um, yeah. So big high level thoughts. Um, so let's start with house of the dragon. Okay. One that kind of had a, uh, you know, kind of, I feel like it had a, a bigger push in the world because mm. it's, uh, yeah, kind of, came a little more hot on the heels of its its of its predecessor. Yeah. And I feel like Lord of the Rings, as popular and important as it has always been as a fantasy touchstone in the mm-hmm. cultural imagination, has always been a little bit more of a niche. Yeah. Niche thing. For yep. like the true fans. Yeah. Game of Thrones is easier to get into. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, House of the Dragon. I thoroughly enjoyed it overall. Um I think it did a lot of the things that game of thrones did best it continued those or extended those extrapolated on those mm-hmm. um i think it had some real holes at some point in the the writing or the logic that worry me but weren't enough to upset the apple cart entirely mm-hmm. for the show quality and again overall i did quite enjoy it yeah um yeah we'll get into the details a little more on that mm-hmm. but yeah for me, it, it felt like a aggressive setup mm-hmm. um, in that the first few episodes were a awkwardly paced uh, kind of uh, Rise of Skywalker-esque uh, mm-hmm. ramp up to the second half of the season. Right. Which then in its own right was a setup to the story they actually want to tell. Right. And it feels like that shows in a lot of ways. It does. Uh, it's really like kind of uncommittal to a lot of things. That's fair. Um, but I do think that it sets up a lot of really interesting ideas mm-hmm. uh, for the next several seasons of the actual, yep. like kind of the show that they want to make. All the wars to come. Yeah. Um, but I feel like that it to me, I feel like it struggles because of that. It just constantly feels like it's like, all mm-hmm. right it's coming it's coming yeah. then you get to the end of the last episode it's like oh it's it's here now it is here. now it is here and i'm like now cool now i gotta wait, now I gotta wait. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
I, I see where you're coming from. Um, I, I do think it's really impressive that they pulled off a single season that kind of just goes through the major plot points of like a two decade span of time. Yeah. And still makes it compelling throughout, makes mm-hmm. it a coherent, uh, consistent story. Um, but we'll we'll get into that a little more on our point by point breakdown. Yeah. All right. Uh, Rings, Ring, of Rings of Power. Um, also like also quite enjoyed it. Um, I felt like there were more weak points and more fluff overall. It was less focused of a show. Um, but for someone for whom uh, Lord of the Rings is borderline religion, <laughs> like. I wouldn't be entirely shocked if uh, J.R.R. Tolkien was like an angel sent to Earth to provide an <laughs> updating to our sacred texts or something. <laughs> um, then the fact that it wasn't wholly insulting to every fiber of my being is a major success. Right. Uh, yeah. As opposed to a certain uh, trilogy from <laughs> the earlier part of the last decade. That can't imagine quite offensive to my sensibilities <laughs> <laughs> um no i think i think it did a lot of things right in terms of if not the specific mythology of the tolkien world at least the spirit of the tolkien world right and i think that is difficult to understate right that's a that's an important thing yeah uh i as someone who all of my i i am an immense i am as big of a fan of Lord of the Rings, but only in the movies as you right. are of the entire franchise. Yeah. Um, I throw like, I, I didn't have the basis of having read Silmarillion and this understanding of this pre, right. pre- stuff. Oh, I forgot to grab the books. Dang. I was going to have the sacred failure of a podcast of host. <laughs> uh, I absolutely loved this movie or this show. Okay. Um, I, it, um, I will say it, it kind of suffers from the similar, issue of uh that man in the high castle does mm-hmm. where i can go an entire episode and then they like there's so many plot threads yeah that uh i get to a point sometimes where i'm like wait who are you again right. and it kind of takes me the first five minutes of that series of scenes of that uh that story arc to remember mm-hmm. what's going on yep um and i think it does stuff from that a little bit kind of like get that kind of shifting gears over and over and over again mm-hmm. uh but it was just I, I loved almost every single character mm-hmm. for what they are and it was just it was it was so vibrant and fun and uh yeah i, I it's kind of hard to yeah we'll, say what i want to we'll, say without we'll comparing in, we'll them. get into the weeds a little yeah bit here. uh but i it was so much fun i yep. am actively excited for like i honestly i because kaylin wants to watch the show i will mm-hmm. watch the show again like this season okay. again uh and soon yep. as well i will say uh this week i rewatched both seasons in their entirety holy shit it was exhausting <laughs> i had a migraine by the end of the day thursday yeah. it was not great yeah i had to go to rehearsal and just sit there through everyone's shenanigans with the migraine i was like just misery yep that's <laughs> your fault you did that to your own, your own I, damn self I, I did but i wanted to get some notes i have almost four thousand words of notes good lord <laughs> i have notes purely from the perspective of rings of power because mm-hmm. that's the one i took notes while watching okay because i binged it i didn't okay. binge house of the dragon Fair. um but it is a lot of comparison to so the i will say with a caveat to everything that i'm going to say uh mm-hmm. uh one 
So let's let's, let's have these little caveats of okay. what we're about to discuss. Uh, one is I care way more about Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. uh, and so naturally I think I'm going to skew more towards enjoying Rings of Power over House okay. of the Dragon in a lot of these point by points. Okay. Um, uh, I was going to actually kind of take the opposite. I care more about Lord of the Rings, so I'm going to be more critical. Interesting. It's my baby. Okay. That's that is totally fair. Uh, I I know more about Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. um, than I do House of the or than I do uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, and so, yeah, you'll see a lot of biases in that direction, which actually, I guess we'll do a good balance of you being yes. more criti- critical of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just by the nature of the way I watch them, I binge Lord of the Rings. So I feel my attachment to certain things stayed throughout, okay. uh, when having watched Game of Thrones in House of the Dragon, pair, House of the Dragon mm-hmm. uh, in pairs, basically, where okay. I like get a week behind and then watch both. Sure. Uh, it kind of allowed my understanding and my criticisms or my appreciations to wane more okay. in between okay um so that that That's may fair. come through uh yeah. i just want to be clear about that part yeah uh, i was more balanced in my watch through so i watched both of them initially just as they were coming out mm-hmm. pretty much consistently on the release schedule or we did we did rings power friday nights but right. um yeah stayed with them and then uh binged them both back to back this week that was a lot i was yeah <laughs> You're, I, you're a fool i was i was legitimately worried that i had to still watch the Andor episode i was like i've watched too much tv mm-hmm. this is gonna be it's it's gonna diminish my own enjoyment of Andor. but Andor is perfect and beautiful and shines <laughs> through like the radiant even star <laughs> that's what we're talking about though that's not the movie we're talking about i'm gonna get sidetracked on Andor a little bit it's it's inevitable yeah uh, okay let's do let's, uh, yeah. let's start with the point by point how are we gonna do this uh so i have it laid out in my notes uh story um and then the characters acting casting all of those related fields uh the writing um and we can talk both micro with uh dialogue and particular mm-hmm. interactions and then macro with sort of structure and the um placement of particular scenes and things mm-hmm. like that um we'll talk about visuals we'll talk about music we'll talk about what i'm calling the hype is balls factor yeah um respect for source material which i think is going to mostly um, more so come down to me because yep. i have read both of the the sacred texts yep um and then we'll talk some little miscellaneous points and then we have some fun little book club discussion questions at the end all right uh that sound reasonable to you yeah all right let's talk about the story what do you think the story was wait not our podcast <laughs> <laughs> let's compare the stories a little bit all right uh so contrary to kind of what i said with the um comparison uh or with the initial thoughts at the beginning they were both a setup yeah in some sense there's it's just a lot of a lot of prologue Mm. i definitely preferred the house of the dragon because it was more streamlined more restrained to yeah kind of two at most storylines yeah i would call it kind of a sprawling look at a single focused story yeah um every everything was rele- relevant to a specific question goal it was it was very like one track from and the beginning it is what is the true line of success yeah. true line of succession what is the lineage what is the who should be the ruler yeah i uh in my mind i envision one solid black bar over time mm-hmm. and smaller individual colored bars of like kind of Actually, if you look at the uh, proper representation of the way that our solar system flies through space, mm-hmm. with the sun being one bar and all the planets kind of going around it, mm-hmm. that's kind of how I envision 
the story is okay. there's the one story question and all of these individual characters interweaving yeah. with it. Suddenly Damon orbits off to Pentos for a little <laughs> while and then his wife incinerates herself and then... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then meanwhile, Rings of Power is you have like five individual stories that are being told and very little overlap between characters with yeah. the exception of the Galadriel and the Numenor stories. Right. Those smash together. Those smash together and those end up smashing into the Southland story yeah. at the and end. And they eventually all kind of converge, but yep. it does have its own individual stories to be told. Yep. Um, which I'm going to call this a big strength for House of the Dragon. I mm-hmm. really like that focus on the question. I think it lets the thematic ground breed yeah. a little more strongly, which we'll I'll talk about more in the writing. Right. Um, but I think we get to ask questions about the the cycles of violence mm-hmm. and sort of the it gets into sort of the gender politics kind of stuff without being mm-hmm. too heavy handed about it. I think yeah. there's some really nice treatment of the role of women in this kind of a society. Yeah. Very effective overall, I think. Um, Rings of Power, I had some genuine problems with the story overall. Okay. Uh, I think we could have cut the Harfoots entirely. Interesting. I think it was basically just, okay, there's this stranger character. Maybe he's a good guy, maybe he's a bad guy, and they just go back and forth on that for eight episodes until they settle on, yeah, he's actually Gandalf. Yeah. I I, Honestly, I'm conflicted on that one. Um, Yes, story-wise completely un- unnecessary mm-hmm. um because we know we're not going to have whatever their names any of the harfoots like they're off going on now a- an adventure with gandalf yeah it's uh, just going to be nori yeah it's going to be i think they'll eventually like peace off and go live their own lives or something like probably maybe set up the shire or some shit like that i don't know something stupid um and then gandalf will go off and be important in the story yeah um, and nori's just sort of the precipitating force there yeah which but I love that story so much. Okay. For a lot of reasons we'll get into when it comes down to the writing. Okay. Um, Fair enough. Honestly, I'm personally very attached to that story. (laughs) Okay. Uh, This is good. This is a point of disagreement. (laughs) I found myself tuning it out when it was on. I did not really appreciate the Harfoot story. Um, I'll get into it when we get into the writing because it's more of the writing side of it that I really loved. That's fair. There there were quite a few aspects I did appreciate, but Mm -hmm. I I felt like it was just unnecessary. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I, I think I would guess so... Um, one of the big attractions of Lord of the Rings is it is this big, beautiful mythic fantasy world, but we get it from the perspective of the hobbits who feel the yeah. closest to, um, Real, sort of our down home country yeah. human, but like they, they have their fun little fantasy aspects. Yeah. They live in round mounds with yeah. round doors. <laughs> so wacky. Um, but like culturally they feel like people. Yeah. Right. Um, or sort of an idealized well, idyllic they also, version of ourselves. Uh, yeah, they, they, I think the not only is it just like that they you know they like mm-hmm. food and they like living. It's also the direct uh, contrast between the way that they are and that there is a broader world going on. Yeah. And I think that people relate to that because politics mm-hmm. are just aggressive and wars. Like you, I mean, think about like what was going on back when this was being written. Yeah, is the world like the world wars yeah and so you have people who just live at home meanwhile there are these giant powers making decisions about the world yeah and you're just at home having a potluck mm-hmm. and so i think that that like when when it was being written that was very much something that attached yeah to people and it like got even more so that attachment because when the movies came out in the late late 90s and early 2000s the internet was becoming a thing. Mm-hmm. And so you became even more keenly aware of all of these more important or like these important battles that are being waged in politics and the world yep. stage and stuff. And you're just at home still having a potluck. Yeah. And I think that's something that is a reason we care. Like that's such a great mm-hmm. 
way to frame that story. Yeah. Tolkien philosophically was really attached to the idea of like a sort of a idyllic small community state of nature, mm-hmm. um, sort of like weird sort of natural conservatism kind of yeah. thing. It's a, uh, it's, um, especially given that his notes were being written when he was actively at war. Yeah. And it was probably a lot of him thinking back of like the pleasantry of home. Yeah. And so that Simplicity. kind of eventually led to this. Yeah. Um, and that works really well for Lord of the Rings. And my guess is they introduced the Harfoots in this one as such a major plot element, trying to capture that same spirit mm-hmm. of sort of these are the idyllic simple folk. And I think I think it, it also helps add to why Gandalf loves the Hobbit has such an appreciation yeah. to the Hobbits is because that was his first experience on world convincing him that he's good. Yeah. And that does tie into an interesting thematic question that I think they kind of botched the landing on a little bit. Well, I think the the problem is the sort of idyllic simplicity, or not even idyllic simplicity necessarily, but sort of the, the characters we can identify with. I think we get that in the Southlanders a little bit. And I think those are the people I felt myself most cli- closely identifying with. Yeah, I am I, 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 little on both sides of it. Um, with the Southlanders, it felt more like they were going on the oppressed people. And... Not to get too psychological on you. I feel like that's what our world feels like more now. Okay. Where we are a people like so where in Lord of the Rings with the hobbits and the simplicity of things is there are things going on and the hobbits are just kind of in their own world. That's kind of right. what it was before the internet. Okay. But now with the internet, we're kind of realizing how much more secretly we are oppressed mm-hmm. than we originally thought. Okay. And so now we feel more along the lines of this that like. There's there are these elves that just they're there to protect like the the mm-hmm. the kind of occupying force essentially yeah, in some that they sense. feel sure. uh, there's a reason there's like oh, like the kind of the conservative people are always like ah the pointy ears and like kind of against these warriors mm-hmm. that are patrolling through but also like you just feel it I feel like the Southlanders feel like they're so much smaller mm-hmm. um. Instead of contrary to the 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 hobbits in Lord of the Rings, where they're just they they know and they don't care, they're in their own world. Right. These people are forced to be within this world yeah. that they didn't choose. Okay. And I think that that's something that we now, with the wide information accessibility of seeing mm-hmm. what's going on in the world, we feel more attached to. Okay, I see it. I'm 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 with you there. I think I liked it partly because I felt like it was a. Uh, sort of a deeper exploration of the role of men in Tolkien's mythology mm-hmm. um, where they are fully capable of bad stuff and they're flawed yeah. and they're, they have loyalties to both sides a little bit. And mm-hmm. I think this, um, cause in, in Lord of the Rings, it's kind of just, it's either noble houses of uh, whichever kingdom yeah. you're, you're in at the time. And um, yeah, there's, there's people that can be corrupted but there's little of people actually making the choice to be evil. Right. Um, Tolkien started at one point on a sequel that was going to be set more in the realms of men and get more into those questions about, okay, when men govern themselves, they're fully capable of bringing themselves into evil. They don't need to be corrupted by an outside force. And I kind of liked that uh, the Southland story started getting into those questions a little more directly. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's about the making the choice to be good. Yeah. um, Choosing to be good in the face of that choice. So I think that's what gripped me most about it. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's see. 
Well, so uh, we, with the story that we got to spend a lot of time on Ring Spire because there's so many. Uh, yeah. Let's kind of like make the logical progression into uh, Ar- 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 Oh, shit. I got this. Arondir. Arondir. Arondir and his people. And so like when him mm-hmm. getting captured by the orcs. Yeah. Uh, so we get kind of like that orc story. Yeah. I'd call that part of the Southlands plot. Yeah. But um, uh, yeah. Honestly, that's. I don't really know how necessary that part of it is like getting Aaron mm-hmm. and then getting into Azar Agar Ag- well, no Adar Agar Adar Adar uh isn't Azar the defiler Azog Azog okay uh getting into that whole story I one loved honestly no never mind I completely take back what I was gonna say because I forgot about this whole other part uh I think when it comes to the story mm-hmm. that we're getting into with the next season unnecessary Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it does so much to humanize the orcs. Yes. When that one orc dies and you get this entire, everyone stops mm-hmm. and like, there's like this ritual. I loved the orc death ritual. Oh my God. I was almost in tears. I was yeah. like, am I, I'm sympathizing for these orcs right now. Yeah. And I'm so glad that they took the time to do that yep. because like, you don't really realize how just oppressed and enslaved they are mm-hmm. by Sauron and Saruman yeah. in Lord of the Rings. Like they're just like they're just they're, they're the cannon fodder. Yeah. No, uh, they they are beings. They yeah. are sentient beings. Um and also getting like one of the first Uruks. Like mm-hmm. not, I don't think first, but like seeing Ooh. them before they're the Urukai, where they're just big orcs. Yeah. Seeing them as literally an elf. A corrupt that elf. That is just slightly which, corrupt. Yeah, yeah, it was that's, like uh, that was so cool. Yeah, it's a it's a twist on the the canon, but I yeah. think it's not inauthentic. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah. The other thing with the story is the the reason that I the kind of one of the detriments to the story is it felt like they just so this was one of the series of characters that were created solely for the show. Yes, uh, which is a lot of, like the Harfoots were created solely for the show. This was created Honestly, solely yep. for the show. I felt that it was. I felt like it was the writers realizing they didn't have enough elf warriorship. Yeah. And so they had to create season or create um, scenarios mm-hmm. to show elves being warriors. That's fair. Which I thought was really cool because sure. like they're like, I, I love Legolas. He's yeah. like my second favorite character in Lord of the Rings because yeah. like him. I mean, everyone loves this scene when he's just like gliding down the stairs, like <laughs> losing like five arrows. Shield surfing. <laughs> uh, it was so cool. And yeah. getting to see that. But sometimes it felt really campy. Mm-hmm. Um, the straight up elf or like prisoner and orc tug of war scene. Yeah. I, I, I've i seen reviews and stuff where people were like, oh, like, look at this goofy scene that like I didn't really realize. Mm-hmm. But like when watching, I was like, this is so dumb. Yeah. Literally just tug of war yeah. happening right now. Like it was only for a few seconds, but I was like, I no. Yeah. Um, it felt campy in a lot of ways. Uh, and because like, I feel like. I think the reason it felt so much campier than seeing Legolas do it, because mm-hmm. it was a very similar, like a mm-hmm. lot of things were very similar, is with Legolas, you were seeing him be an elf among humans and right. orcs fighting. Yes, and he so should be it exceptional. Was more, yeah, exactly. More of just being like, wow, this one guy is really cool and he fights so differently and elegantly yeah. and stuff. This was just several of them, or specifically focused on Arondir, mm-hmm. uh, Arondir. I'm terrible at remember. I, I think it's Arondir. Uh, it's what? Arondir. Arondir. Seeing only him fighting felt a little more campy. Like, mm-hmm. a little more, like, superhero-esque. Yeah. Um, than elegant in contrast to humans. Yep. Um, 
in his defense, he was probably the freshest of the elves in there. Everyone else had probably been caught a little sooner. That's true. You know, a little more. I yeah. don't think that makes Uh Were they all elves? Uh, no. Okay, because it was a lot of Southlanders, and yeah. then it was just him and his Yeah, there were the other squad. villages that had been yeah. enslaved, and then, yeah, his little outpost team. Yep. Then when they he go when they escape and go back to the uh, when Ostereth? they go, yeah they go back to the uh, the the tower and they yep. collapse the tower it that's it kind of goes back into just uh, coming up with excuses to show like coming up with fight sequence excuses right and I feel like that's all that storyline was doing yeah I I like the conflict I like sort of thematically again the idea of the orcs want a homeland Adar is yeah he's the bad guy but he he's kind of reasonable yeah. right he's like i just i want a homeland for my mm-hmm. my people my children and you're in my place i'm gonna fight you mm-hmm. um i'll try to slaughter you because i'm evil but yeah i i liked that that conflict where we have people we care about on both sides and we have thematic weight we care about on both sides and i think yeah. that again it kind of sets up one of these core questions of choosing good yeah um i think it also one of the like importance is uh, kind of one of the things that it does make the story necessary is that it does set up the front line that mm-hmm. the main story is coming to. Yes. Like the, the main story is occurring in Numenor. Right. Uh, Lindell, Lindell, Linden, Linden, Linden. So there we go. Linden and Numenor. Those mm-hmm. are like the main story. Yeah. Uh, but you don't know it for the first mo all of the episodes until the very end, but that's where the story is coming. Yeah. Uh, and so setting up this front line yep. showing the Southlanders the way that they're like, cause they know the orcs are just far away. Like, mm-hmm. but they think that they're not like actively coming, but right. they are. And so like, they're setting up this, like you said, this conflict, this thematic conflict that you care a lot about only for then kind of what we were talking about, uh, what I was saying with the op- oppression, like this world is happening whether we choose to be in it or not. Right. Setting up these humans who just get forced to make decisions and then have this oppressive war show up and be like, hey, you're the battlefield now. <laughs> Sucks. Uh, I think it was really important. Yeah. But it just like they, they needed to do that. And so it's weird because like the goal of the story was important. Right. The story itself was not as important. Right. Which was which yeah. is interesting to look back on. Yeah, I did feel there were a lot of like I liked a lot of the the little moments and stuff, but mm-hmm. some of the big plot threads, um, like I didn't really, I wasn't that excited about the battles or anything. Right. Um, the Bronwyn Arondir romance. Was, I was, need, was, I didn't need any of that. Fine, they also whatever. stopped addressing it, didn't they? Because they just no, like, they kiss at the end or something. Oh, get out of here! I don't want. <laughs> yeah, I, that specifically, I did not give a shit about. It was yeah, it was pretty unnecessary. I yeah. think. It but. felt like it was something they were like writing a whole story and they're like, why, why does this elf need to care about these humans? Romance subplot. Romance subplot. And then they're like, well, now we don't need it because we, now we have the audience caring about the story. Yep. We can't just drop it. We can't have them break up. <laughs> they could have actually killed Bronwyn. They, like they, they could have. trying to. <laughs> Honestly, they could have killed a Rondier. I, I would, I mean, I really like kind of who he is. He's probably my favorite character. Yeah. But, but I feel like that would be the yeah. most impact like i thought they did mm-hmm. i straight up thought they were gonna kill him yeah uh i think like literally at one point i thought he was actually going to die and i was like oh they're not gonna do that but like it would have made sense but then they yeah. didn't like there was like a deus ex something yeah who was it was it deus ex galadriel probably uh i have it written well, somewhere yeah so at one point they're all caught in the inn or whatever the big main building is and um adar's gonna start executing prisoners oh, yeah, but yeah, then yeah. numenorians turn up yep yep deus ex numenor yep 
Um, no. Numenor Ex Machina. I had it flopped. Yep. Yep. Uh, what are the other stories? Uh, Numenor, Galadriel. Numenor and Galadriel. Well, Galadriel's kind of all over the place, but yeah. she goes to Numenor and most closely associates herself with that. So, with, uh, Elendil and, uh... This is going well, isn't it? You can't remember all the weird fantasy names. I can. At least they're different enough. Like, the, with, with House of the Dragon, it's like, Raynar, Rhaenyra, Renano, Renarno, Eric and Eric. <laughs> it's, it's like, it was so stupid. Um, uh, uh, Isildur, there we go. Uh, that whole yeah. thing. Uh, th- this was my favorite story. Okay. Of all of them. This Like, when Galadriel shows up and then seeing how Numenor is. We'll get more into themes of it when we get yeah. into the writing. But just the... Uh, this is where I felt the most that this is Game of Thrones, uh, Lord of the Rings themed Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. where there are politics, there are these characters, all these mm-hmm. many characters making decisions that each of them affect all the other decisions. Mm-hmm. They've got their, like, Elendil's whole backstory of coming from the West and, like, what what yep. they lost and yeah. what the kids feel they're destined for. Yep. And, like, all of these things playing into these large decisions of going to yeah. Middle Earth. Yeah, rewriting the island's history, basically, from the ground up. It was, like, and, and everyone's characters felt genuine that they were making decisions that were in their own best interests. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or who they were working on behalf of's best right. interests. Right, Uh And it was just, I was so excited to get back to Numenor every time. Okay. Uh, kind of alluding ahead the visuals the music like everything about mm-hmm. just the numenor story to me was just so awesome it is very distinctively drawn yeah yeah um i felt like parts of it fell a little flat for me okay to be perfectly honest um part of that is actually going to get into a little bit the visuals um it was the place that i most felt the sort of amazon glossiness which i think i've figured out the problem with that we'll talk about that okay. in visuals um no, so I, I see where you're coming from with the, the politics and everyone kind of has their own interests and is aligned. And I felt that up to a point, but I think part of the problem is a lot of the important backstory for those characters is explained in little one-sentence throwaways. Right. So even if you're paying attention and catch all of it, it's a lot of just, okay, I'm, I don't really feel why this character is making right. these choices. I, I get that they are. I get that it is consistent with the rules for this character we've laid out. I don't feel it. Right. Um, I did really like the way at least uh, some of those characters were drawn. We'll mm-hmm. get to that more with the characters in our next category. Mm-hmm. But I felt probably a little less invested in it okay. on average than I did in the the Southlands plot. I will say, actually, I, I honestly I'll agree with that. Like, I felt I enjoyed it more. I, I do agree. I think I was less invested. Mm-hmm. And it might just be a function of it is more of the high and mighty right. star upon his brow, yeah. noble lineages and stuff like that. Yeah. A um, little in, less into the human aspect of it. Right. Shall we say? Yeah. And it definitely, uh, I think the difference between the, 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 the Southlands and really the Harfoots too. And this one is with the, with Linden and Numenor, all the characters have objectives. Right. Uh, and so I think that that is what makes that story driven so much more with the other ones with like the Harfoots is just to, 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 to be, yeah. um, their whole point is to exist outside of the wheels of the world, basically. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that is, uh, maybe another reason that it's, it's, it's harder to 
relate to these stories because they are they have objectives that are way above like our pay grade. Sure. Essentially like Fair. I I'm not particularly worried about stopping Sauron wherever yeah. he is and finding out who he is. The fading of my entire race from yeah. the face of the earth. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think just by nature of that we're not we we won't be as yeah. personally invested in these yeah. stories. We can be intrigued by it, we can be uh blown away by it sort of yeah. awe inspired, but yeah. It's going to be more difficult to get invested in it. And I think they honestly do they they they're conscious of that mm-hmm. when they're doing it because there's so many times like that we're when they do the harfoots and the uh, and the southlanders where cinematography and writing and everything is mm-hmm. grounder yep. like they don't there was not a single big shot of the southlands of that town at all like a big establishing shot not but, really like, but every time they went to linden or numenor you get these like grand shots of like the the yeah. castles and the city as a whole and yeah. stuff and they kind of like anytime you go back and forth between the two it like it it reminds you hey the story you're about to watch for the next 15 minutes is intended to be grandiose or yep. hey you're on the ground now for the yeah. next 15 minutes yeah. and i and so because of them being aware of that i think that like it's not them accidentally failing to get you personally attached yeah. and they do they do have some mechanisms for personally attaching you which we'll talk to you about more in characters yeah but um yes okay I, I see where you're coming from with that i i like that yeah uh linden linden uh, the elves with with yeah with uh elrond young elrond and uh and durin yep number <laughs> i was trying to find some like references to him like like what had been written about him mm-hmm. and i looked up durin and i was like durin's one through eight and i'm like oh <laughs> s- screw you during the fourth during the fourth uh this was so much fun this was between this and the southlands for my favorite yeah plot threads um this one definitely relevant yes. because this was this this was the story about the rings of power yep which, uh, gotta say, I love the gratuitous ring porn at the end of the episode. Where it's just like, <laughs> we're gonna do like 30 seconds of glory shots yep. on these guys just being put together. Yep. <laughs> um, I feel this one suffered the most from, uh, 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 what's it? What is it? You, th- you think you know what this material is? And everyone's like, I- we all know it's Mithril. Yeah. Literally, no one doesn't know what this is. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, it does it for like a little too long. It's yeah. like, what do you call it? like whatever he called it in like the dwarven tongue yep. and i'm just like oh my god just get to the just point say it. <laughs> yeah. um, um yeah but yeah the this also was the other one that is very game of thronesy where people have objectives yes i feel like they were so uncommittal to it that it detrimented a little bit partly so um i think partly that's the the fault of the linden specific stuff it okay f- felt like it was a lot more flat yeah. Um and I think part of that is the the plot itself doesn't make much sense. Mm. We're just going to introduce oh evil is rising and the elves are going to fade from the world but they need the magic rock so they can yeah. stick around. It it's really flat. It is not canonically canonically based at all. Oh I'll, really? I'll that, yeah, complete nonsense gotcha. canonically. Um and you kind of feel that. Yeah. It does feel like a this is what you'd get in the prologue of a second tier DC movie or something. Yeah. Yeah, I I I totally see that. Uh, it definitely did feel a little like, uh, eh, we got a thing. We we we'll need a we need a thing, and then if we do a thing, yeah. like it kind of just like 
yeah. one after the other there were very few like Im- like plot threads that stayed longer than like two episodes yeah because it was like uh during the third was like they're here for another reason yep and it's like you need to find out what it is and we find out at the beginning of the next episode yeah and then it's over and i'm yeah. like I, man come yeah. on give me yeah. a little more depth to that yeah and um, then there's gilgal badgering elrond about did they find mithril and elrond's like man I told them I wouldn't tell you anything, so I'm not going to tell you anything. By totally telling him that. <laughs> like, like, that doesn't give anything away. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which, admittedly, how do you answer that question if yeah. your High King asks you something? But yeah. still. I, uh, I do, I definitely did get a little teary-eyed about friendships with secrets. Yeah, there, there were some really fantastic, I think some of the best character moments were in this story. I am in love with, is it Deza? Deza. Deza. I love her so oh, much. Oh, she's great. I, I'm, I, she's, who's, the, the actress is like in nothing else. Sophia Nomvete. Yeah. I don't know if that's how it's pronounced. I'm gonna be keeping an eye on her. Yeah. She's so much fun. Yeah. Oh my God. I just like. Bursting the, with energy. Yep. Yeah, the, yeah. uh, commands not only the screen, but everyone in it. <laughs> yep. That's a good way to put it. Uh, I, I just, I love that. That's my favorite character so far. Yeah. Uh, by a wide margin. Yeah. Have, uh, should we do a big wrap up on story comparison and then yeah. jump into characters since we're kind of segueing that direction yeah, anyway let's do it all right uh which one did you prefer more stories wise uh okay if i strip everything out and it's just the story just the story house of the dragon okay i, I agree. feel the same same thing you kind of said early on where it's just it's it's a lot more streamlined mm-hmm. and by nature of its structure it's stronger I agree entirely. Um, the word that keeps coming to mind for me is focused. Mm-hmm. It's all one particular question and we can let a lot build out of that. Yeah. Um, Rings of Power felt like there was a lot of fluff, mm-hmm. honestly. A lot of stuff that could have been trimmed or reduced or streamlined. Yeah. I didn't hate the story overall, but it, it just it felt bulkier, more yeah. unwieldy. I, uh, yeah, the the story, I, I think the, the, the delineation I'm going to make a lot with the two of these uh is probably uh house of the dragon is better i enjoyed rings of power more like okay and i think that's what the story is a really good example of that that i enjoyed all of the stories very thoroughly mm-hmm. uh house of the dragon was a bit more of a like it it, it felt mechanical almost sure where like it had individual object it felt like it was like it was uh, not mechanical not like it was soulless like it definitely had no. heart to it um I think it's just maybe it's just literally just enjoyment. It's a lot more cause and effect. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mathematical almost. Yeah. In yeah. some sense. Okay. I see it. About characters. Characters slash acting slash casting. Just everything yeah. in the individuals that populate these stories and worlds. Uh, I want to say right off the bat, and I've talked about this before. Uh, I think specifically about House of the Dragon too. I love when you can tell when actors who are playing the same character as another actor mm-hmm. uh, match. Yes. Uh, and so it, it wasn't as much with Alicent because you didn't really see Alicent be, she didn't really have that much of a role pre time jump. Yeah. Well, uh, and and so, that's, that's part of her role as a character is she doesn't have much character. Right. She's just reflective of the people around her. Yeah. And so you don't really get mannerisms much from her. And Not so there's much of no. that. Yeah. Um, but with Rhaenyra, oh my god, like, yeah. th- there was, like, an eye roll that she made at, what's his name, who 
ran away. Laner. Laner. Uh, that was literally the same. And I was like, I like, yeah. I, and I think I said this in one of our, uh, the normal podcast episode. Yep. Uh, I feel like they have the original actor act the scene first and then yeah. have the other person come in. Um, and so that's House of the Dragon with Elrond. Mm-hmm. It felt like he was like he was like behaving the same way that uh, Hugo Weaving did. Interesting. Like he would like walk around and like kind of like the way that like he just was like I was like that. The, I feel like sure, that the way walks. he holds himself up yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I see it. I didn't pick up on that specifically, but I'm not going to disagree with you. It was, it was, I, I don't know if I really got much of the same thing with uh, Galadriel because Galadriel was so much more like hot headed and like she, do yeah. things. Yeah. She but plays she's a very so different version grace, of the character. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think that that's like, I, 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 it, I, I caught, there was just like one movement or something or like something he said that I was like, that felt like Hugo Weaving. Weaving? Weaving. <laughs> uh, and I, it just made me love Elrond a lot more. Just mm-hmm. like that actor. Yeah. It doesn't look like Hugo Weaving in the slightest. No. My, uh, <laughs> my, my literal note on, on him is um, Elrond, uh, played by Robert Aramayo, has a weird face, but he seems to be having the most fun of any of the actors. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's really inhabiting that role. Yeah. Um, and he gets a lot of the, the meatiest stuff too. Like, mm-hmm. um, he gets a lot of just kind of normal acting against the, the other elven characters and stuff, but, yep. um, he gets the, the really emotional friendship beats with mm-hmm. Doran and Disa and stuff like that. Yep. Um, which there are just a couple of fun little fascinating nuggets in there. Like he turns up and he's like, Hey, it's my old buddy. And he doesn't understand why Doran is so upset at him yeah. at first. That is something that I've never thought about in yeah. Lord of the Rings. But it's something so obvious about the interaction between a, a mortal and an immortal. Yep. Um, I thought that was beautifully done. Yeah. And and especially how they concluded that whole through line. Yeah. Uh, like where he's just like, yeah, no, I acknowledge that I, I messed up. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, because they, they put you in Elrond's shoes at first and then you don't really understand why Durin's angry. And then you kind of over time come to be like, okay, yeah, you're kind of the bad guy here, Elrond. Yep. Make your apology and make friends. Yep. Uh, so that was my point about the mm-hmm. same characters. So you want to start with House of the Dragon and kind of go yeah, through? Yeah, let's go through some House of the Dragon. I feel like we should just highlight the, the best and the worst ones. Yeah, okay. Instead of the mediocre ones, instead of going through all of them. Yep. Uh, so. I have uh, notes on many of them. But okay. Well, yeah, let's just kind of Who's your, uh, who's your favorite uh, character in House of the Dragon? Oh, um, probably the ones I most like watching are Damon and Aemond. Yep. Um, I completely agree. <laughs> the ones I'm most rooting for, uh, <laughs> they're kind of all terrible. Yeah. Um, I like Corliss. He, I like he's Sea Snake. He's someone I feel like I can kind of get behind, mm-hmm. and I love the way they start defining his character early. Like yeah. there's that first small council meeting where everyone's just kind of hanging out and talking tourneys and stuff, and he's like, "Hey, this is an actual problem." don't give me wine cup bearer. We need to be working here. Mm-hmm. He's like, he's very direct. He's very to the point. Yeah. Um, he's got a nice sense of honor, but he's not so stupid as to let it cloud his other senses. Um, not like his hot headed little brother. Yeah. Uh, well, should I say not, not headed little brother? Oh, uh, God, that's that's that scene. Uh, my jaw hit the floor. His didn't. <laughs> well, it did eventually. Yeah. The rest of his head did. <laughs> Yeah. Um no, I I liked Corliss. I liked Corliss and Rainier uh Rainies. Yep. Um there's just a couple of fun little moments like the 
the tourney when the tourney starts getting ugly in the first episode and everyone's starting to actually murder each other and the whole crowd's like <gasps> shock and awe and him and him and Rainey's are just kind of like casually talking little Shakespearean chorus aside yeah. kind of things it's oh beautiful they've been here they've seen this thing before I want to go back and rewatch the entire show solely for Rainey's mm. because in the last episode she rapidly became my favorite character okay and i want to go back and i want to see those seeds mm-hmm. uh because so what made her your favorite character in the end so she is the royalty without the title yeah uh so she was the other option yep at the very beginning um which and, that's not canonically accurate by the way but okay it's i don't care about canon. roughly <laughs> it's it's thematically correct yeah uh i think they really do it in the last episode where they show that she would have been the right one to choose. Yep. Um, just kind of, and she, and she knows that be, even though she can't, she will never be now the protector of men. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rhaenyra is. Mm-hmm. And so she can instill her wisdom and, and, and strength through her yep. by standing with her at every point yep. uh making it very clear all the time where her allegiances lie and where people's allegiances should lie mm-hmm. and like this just the royal way she carried herself and like yes like the, i saw tiktok jokes of just like Renice during the last ep- like last episode and it's just her kind of just standing and staring at rhaenyra mm-hmm. but like yeah, if you're just watching it casually and you're like ah oh, she's just standing there staring but like every single point yes. was Renice's Pointing out to Rhaenyra, this is a critical point in what you are doing. Yeah. What you decide to do right now is going to define a lot more than you think it will. And like yes. Rhaenyra or Renice knows that. Yes. And I want to go back because there's no way that they like only did that with her in the last episode. No, she she has always been an important character and the character that you kind of are like, OK, you are the one who most understands what's going on. Yeah. Here. And I want to go back and I want to watch because like I, I've been intrigued in this family. But like, honestly, a lot of the time, every time like it goes. The problem I have with the, with the characters since we're in characters. Yeah, there's so many and vaguely identical characters Okay. Like I and they're all the families intermixing. Like, Some of them are very identical. Re Eric. Eric and Eric. Eric. Uh, like I spent more of this show, more of House of the Dragon, like I was with the first two episodes of Game of Thrones. The first time I watched it, mm-hmm. where I was just holding on for dear life, trying to understand who's doing what. Mm-hmm. Because like, with the exception of the main characters, like Ned and like his kids, like the ones that right. I knew quickly, uh, with like Rhaenyra and uh, Alicent and Viserys. I knew and Matt Smith, (laughs) like I knew who was who so I could follow bits of that. But when you got into the Valarian family, Mm -hmm. like I wasn't, I didn't know that there was a brother. Honestly, I didn't know that the sea snake had a brother (laughs) for so long until he died. And that became Uh, or like like right before he died when he was throwing a fit about it. He he turns up once in episode three. Yeah. Um, and so, like, there's, like, so much through the show. I was like, wait, who, who is this? And why is this important? Yeah. And, and Rainey s- suffered from that. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I didn't really acknowledge her as a really powerful person mm-hmm. until, like, towards the end. Yep. When I just fell in love with her at the, yeah. <laughs> in the last episode. Wasn't it a good decision to not cast the Valarians as white? How confusing would that have been? Oh, my God. they all looked the same, too? That, honestly, that was <laughs> such a cool decision, too. Yeah uh it doesn't really it it doesn't affect anything in the story no it it doesn't and it's it's internally consistently handled yep Yep. and uh yeah so i uh remembering who's the knight 
at what, what whose knights at what given point and who's banging who and yeah stuff like that and like it, with the characters since around characters too many far too many too similar to each other mm-hmm. uh and too many of them having too small but important roles like like the the little one person who doesn't really matter all that much making a decision that's going to affect a lot i'm like wait who 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 did that why why did this lead to this yeah uh um, when in lord of the rings every character that has a name is consistently important all the way through that's fair yeah like there's the um lord caswell i think is his name the guy who kind of looks like an off-brand john malkovich with the goatee i mean ends up getting hanged in the ninth episode oh he yeah like he has a he he pops up on the stairs when Rhaenyra is carrying her baby up at the start of episode six and is like hey do you ever need anything and she's like, did they make it? Yeah, come, my lord. Kind of just like trying to brush oh. him off. And then he comes back and yeah, it's gets like, hanged. <laughs> yeah, like you don't pick up on that until the second time. Through. Oh, okay. But yeah, there, there's a lot of little details and little characters like Vaymond. When we first meet him in uh, Vaymond, uh, Corliss's brother. Okay. When we first meet him uh, in episode three, he is like the more hot headed, aggressive. Let's get right in there and um, just stake our claim kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's it's setting it up. It's consistent. But I, I and this is this is part of the problem with the, the timeline structure that they have to go with getting back to the story a little bit. Right. Is we pick and choose little moments of characters. And so we often don't get enough of characters to really mm-hmm. understand them. Um, I think the one that suffers the most from that is the one who changes allegiances the most or changes the allegiances the furthest, which is Kristen Cole. Oh, the the knight that Kingsguard knight. Kingsguard knight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which my notes do say Kristen Cole. What a hottie. He is a very attractive man. Yeah. Uh, kind of generic attractiveness. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Generically attractive. Yeah. Um, very Jon Snow attractiveness. Sort of. Yeah, yeah. Like darker skin, kind of an olive complexion. Yeah. But he's, he's a handsome boy. Yep. No, no wonder Rhaenyra goes for him. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. No. Like, because the problem is between episode five, he goes from conflicted, like he was on Rhaenyra's side, but he doesn't want to just be beholden to her. Mm-hmm. Um, some plaything that she can cast away at will to loyalist friends to Alicent of all time. Yeah. And that's something that you could understand if it were a little more defined, mm-hmm. but it was just kind of like, Oh, okay. This is who this is now. Yeah. Um, and if I hadn't read that in the book prior to seeing the episode six, the time jump um, actor switch, that would have been much tougher to stomach. I imagine. Mm-hmm. Speaking of hotties, uh, I'm low key in love with uh, Sir Harold Westerling. Is uh, that? Lord Commander of the Kingsguard, bald, oh, big, bushy, yeah, bald white beard. beard. Yep. Ugh. Can't imagine why. That's who you want to be. <laughs> the accent and the just yeah. the look and his bearing and the way that um in the in the ninth episode when uh Otto is like, go kill Rhaenyra, he and just he's like, immediately nope, takes off his yep. cloak. No question. Yep. Like I, I did very much like I, I always I always viewed him as like the most stable kingsguard yep. in all of game of thrones canon mm-hmm. <laughs> i was like that's the guy we need yeah to be around that is the that is the kingiest guard where was he by the end of, like the very end was did he show up at he dragonstone did, he did not show up at dragonstone um i actually don't even remember where he is canonically at this point okay um it may not even be laid out in the book uh but the last we see of him is handing in his cloak yeah. and saying come get me when you have a king right so I'm going to assume that he's come back now that Aegon is crowned, but it's That's possibly true. does go over to Rhaenyra. Yeah. Um, I don't know for sure. Yep. Um, 
Yes, Damon is also very much very fun. He's like more evil than you kind of expect when he let he gets to breathe a little bit as a yeah. character, but then he's just out there murdering mm-hmm. servants, strangling his wife, kind yep. of things. Yep. Um, but he's for one thing, he has a lot of fun being evil, which I always root for. Mm-hmm. Um, and he gets his sort of sympathetic lost little puppy dog kind of moments. Yeah. Too. Well, it's definitely a very good, like, like it, it pairs ambition mm-hmm. with place, like where he, where he belongs basically mm-hmm. with loyalty, like what, what, yep. what he, what he cares about. Yeah. And so putting his ambition, which is way bigger than his place. Mm hmm pairing with the loyalty that the audience is also loyal to. Yeah. Really creates an interesting character. Yeah. Plus is just his slight instinct to watch the world burn. Yeah. He's just, he's a troublemaker deep down. Like, yep. um, so we first meet him, uh, in the, the scene where he goes and hacks up half of King's landing as part of the city watch, mm-hmm. which that felt like three months worth of plot line crammed into three minutes of scream time. Yeah. Just to, just to get that point across. Yeah. Um, I like the plot point. I don't like the execution. Mm-hmm. Um, but the second time we see him is at the tournament in the first episode where he beats Otto Hightower's uh, eldest or I think eldest son in the jousting mm-hmm. and then immediately gets Allison's favor on mm-hmm. his lance. And I literally wrote in my notes. Very silly. What a goofball. <laughs> <laughs> he's just out to cause trouble. Yeah. <laughs> and. Yeah, he's got that ambition and um, is scheming and conniving ways, too. Mm-hmm. But deep down, he's just kind of a troublemaker. Yeah. I kind of love it. Yeah. Um, and then Amond, who sort of models himself after Damon in mm-hmm. some sense. He's he's a little more, I think, the seriousness and ambition and less of the troublemaker instinct. Yeah. Um, but, like, he very much styles himself after him visually, which that actor, Ewan Mitchell, mm-hmm. oh, my goodness. Yeah. Like, a lot of the time, we run into the trap of boiling acting down into how they deliver their lines. Right. But it's more, it's, it's the, the presence of the character, yeah. how they look, how when they it just hold cuts themselves. To him and he's just got this like smarmy Joker smile, but I think that's his resting face. Yeah, no, it's just, <laughs> he's, he's got sort of an intensity to him. Yeah. Like, you know, there's a lot going on behind that eye patch. Yep. Um, and it's, it's blue glowing is going on behind that iPad. In fact, indeed. I don't know what that was. It's a sapphire. Oh, okay. A big sapphire. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, no, he's just, he's very commanding. And then there's a great little bit of just character exposition. So he's like fighting in the yard with Kristen when we first meet mm-hmm. the most grown up version of him. Um, and he beats Sir Kristen and Sir Kristen's like, oh, you'll be winning tourneys in no time. He's like, I yeah. don't care. I also think with the very last five minutes of the show, mm. they inform you something we haven't like we didn't know about him mm-hmm. uh that so the character mm-hmm. uh carries himself with such like bravado and like i'm i'm the best whatever mm-hmm. uh but also acknowledges a fuck up when he when he when he does it yep let's uh, talk about that moment a little bit yeah that i, I definitely want to talk about that character mo- well actually let's build into that by talking about the strong boys oh yeah so is why is why is it called the strong boys because uh they're bastards by harwin strong that's why okay yeah that i didn't 
I didn't get it. I, I didn't know that's what his name was. Mm-hmm. And so when he was like, these boys are so strong, like that moment, that yep. initial moment. When I was in elementary and middle school and early high school, I was bullied a lot. Yeah. And the way that you could get bullied and like one of the methods to be bullied is to sarcastically be nice. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's just what was going on. Yeah. I didn't. It works on that level. It does. That's not the point. <laughs> that's not the point. No. And now I get it. Yeah. Literally at this moment is when I now understand that level of it. Yeah. And that that's kind of one of the problems uh, House of the Dragon writes itself into is you have to pay very acute attention to who's mm-hmm. doing what at every single moment yeah. or you miss a lot of weight like that. Yep. Um, so, yeah, that. Uh, yeah. OK. So, yeah. The, the, so the strong boys, strong boys being the bastards. Yep. Uh, so do they know? Uh yeah it's kind of unacknowledged i think like jace and luke when they get older jace jace definitely knows yeah. jace knows even when they've got like 12 year old version of him oh, okay and then grown-up versions both of them yeah they they kind of know what's going on but they they're loyal to their mother and yeah. they they want to do right they want to do things right and i, I love they the this season is very much like let's jump from plot point to plot point but they're not afraid to stop and let things breathe and get some character mm-hmm. moments in there and there's a really good one with jace um, at the start of, I think it's the start of episode 10, maybe, where he's on Dragonstone and he's with the maester and he's just training his Valyrian. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, no, I, I got to work harder. I'm I'm going to be the king one day. I have to yeah. put in the work. I have to take it seriously. Just that wanting to rise above the rumors that have dogged him his entire life. Yeah. But I love the way he's, to, he, he feels like Rob, sort of, from right. Game of Thrones, where he's the... He's the young king or the the young heir in this case, but he's he's taking leadership, but it's a little scary for him. But also he's like, I'm a grown up now. I'm going to do this. Yeah. And I really like the way they handled Luke Mm -hmm. the last few episodes. It actually corrects one of the missteps of Game of Thrones in Game of Thrones uh, in the books. Jon Snow is 14 at the start. Okay. And the Jon Snow we meet at the start of that show is not a 14 year old. Right. He's like and he does 16, not, he does not feel like a 14 yeah. year old. He feels like basically a grown up who's just setting out on his own. No, this is a teenager. Yeah. This is a middle schooler uh, that is just kind of thrown into these great complexities of the world. Rob is just a little bit older. He's 15. Daenerys is 13 at the start of Game of Thrones when she's uh, getting married off to Khal Drogo and then having to take leadership of the. Yeah. Um, Oh, the, the Dothraki. And Luke corrects that because he's a 14-year-old character that feels like a 14-year-old yeah. character. Like, he's got that, like, this is a bigger world than I am prepared to be in, and I'm terrified, but also, I gotta step up. I gotta yeah. do it. And, like, that that instinct. Like, I I work with kids, and I know a lot of 14-year-olds, and that feels like the good 14-year-olds I know. Like... They're kids, basically, but they want to step up and they want to be better. And I think they build that up magnificently, Mm -hmm. only to rip it away. (laughs) And that makes it all the more brutal. Like, you know, if Jon Snow's out there and he gets murdered on his dragon, it's okay. It's sad. It's Jon Snow, but he's he's a grown up. He knew the risks. But a kid? Yeah. Kid that's doing his best, stepping into a world that's too big for him? Yep. Ooh, that hurts. Uh, Let's go back to the Aemon side of that interaction. uh, So, yeah, he... uh, I feel like what they do best with that character is that he knows he knows that politics mm-hmm. he knows that this battle like the battle that like he was kind of picking with the dragon mm-hmm. should really be fought politically. Yeah. But 
the big thing that I want to that I'm excited about with the net following seasons is the hubris that the Valerian that the Targaryens and Valerians have mm-hmm. about thinking they can control the dragons. Yes, and that was the moment that he real that he realized that's not possible. Yeah, like they're doing what like the dragons are doing what their owners want them to do while it doesn't impede yeah. their own emotions. Yep. And if that dragon gets out of your control, you will not get it back. Yeah. And I think he realizes that like, he realized that with that moment, mm-hmm. but also realized like he drew first blood. Yeah. Yeah. It's a powerful realization. And I think it continues a theme that they'd sort of been setting up. Like, like you're talking about the dragons are not really under human control. Right. And we get that in episode one. Yeah. Uh, with Viserys telling Rhaenyra, um, it's an illusion that we control the dragons. Mm-hmm. And that sort of functions metaphorically for like the the idea of the violence mm-hmm. spiraling out of control, the violence that power and struggle yeah. for power breeds. Um, I think it works kind of nicely. I don't love how they handled the scene, to be perfectly honest, okay. um, for writing reasons, which we'll get into. I think so. I'm going to get a little ahead of myself here, a little out over my skis. In the book, the scene plays out almost the exact same way except Aemond takes to air with the explicit intention that he's going to go kill Luke. Okay. And I think that works a little better because I think the, the hubris angle of like, he's trying his best not to, it sort of, it gives us a more human version of that character. We're like, okay, you're a bad dude and you messed up, but you didn't really mean to go out there and kill him. So Mm -hmm. like, I can still sort of root for you a little bit or at least sympathize with you. But the, I think the book version feels a little more true to just, how that should play out. Okay. And it, it, the way it plays out in the show, uh, I'll get into this in the writing a little more. It is a continuation of a slightly worrying trend, mm. but we'll, we'll talk about that more when we get to writing. Okay. Um, but it's a character moment. Yeah. It, it works. Okay. Aemond, Aemond is full of hubris and bravado and bravado. That's how bravado. You that. Bravado. <laughs> well, I was thinking bravos. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know why. I mean, I do know why. I mean, because Game of Thrones. Yeah, Game of Thrones world. What other characters in Game of Thrones that are we should address? Because uh, we also House have not talked about House of the Dragon. House of the Dragon. I mean, yeah. Um, Otto Hightower is pretty important. Yeah. Um, I like how he starts out as kind of likable. Yeah. Right at the very beginning, um, and like then you slowly like, start to find out his ambitions yeah. and stuff. And he feels like the voice of reason, and then they give you that to rest on. So you never really come to hate him, mm-hmm. but you, you kind of are like, okay, I really I get it more now. How do you feel about Allison's, uh, feelings through all this? Like that she does know her kid is, should be the next King, mm-hmm. but also doesn't want to destroy her friendship. Like, yeah. How do you feel? How do you feel one about if that's the best way to go about it? If it's mm-hmm. Canon or also like how they've done it so far. Um, I, in a vacuum, I really like it because I think it's important for us to have characters we need to root for on both sides. Mm-hmm. And I think Alicent and Rhaenyra, they kind of, they start as the really close friends. The, the actresses playing them were told to secretly have feelings for each other, mm-hmm. like romantic feelings for each other, which I don't think is supposed to be an actual plot point, but I think right. it just helps communicate that closeness on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, you get that, that real genuine affection, um, which comes through nicely. Um, and so I think it's, it's important to have Alicent not turn into someone that we just can't sympathize with. All right. We are still supposed to like the, the feelings for Rhaenyra. I do feel like in the broader context, it's a little bit of a punch pulled that it could okay. have been. Um, 
Canonically, she is very much one of the schemers among mm. what the other ones, according to the book. Um, although I think that's almost a weakness on the book's part. There's no one you can really sympathize with in the book. Everyone is just evil and they're all just trying to kill each other. I think Gurm even said he likes the show better than the book. Mm-hmm. Which is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> that's mature. Smart man there. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Overall, I, I like her characterization, okay. I think. Yeah, I I... I was very much like in the middle, like just kind of felt like it. I think you said it right. Like a punch pulled, like where like I could see they were going for it mm-hmm. for a long time, but I think it was the moment it was a small council when she realized everyone was scheming without her. Mm-hmm. And that kind of like that pissed her off. Yeah. Uh, I think that was the moment that I was like, okay, I, this is really what they're trying to do. Yeah. I think it could have done, could have been done a little more powerfully. Yeah. Yeah, but again, it's in service of making the character someone we can root for moving forward. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to fight that too hard. Yeah. I think long term, that's probably the right choice. Yeah. I don't think there's any other characters that are really that important. There's a couple other little ones. Yeah. Um, As far as bad characters, uh, young Laner. Um, oh, yeah, you felt he really wouldn't. That is about the worst performance I've ever seen from anyone <laughs> on screen. That was just, I don't know what he was doing. There. Yeah. Old Laner's great. He's yeah. he's charismatic and interesting i'll talk i'll talk about that later i have a, mm-hmm. a bone to pick on his uh plot thread but it fits into a, a writing thing gotcha yeah uh lady Mazaria. um i like the character i've i do know what that accent was so you know who Mazaria is the mm-hmm. white worm oh yeah she has sort of a french accent but not yeah. exactly french um Sonoya mizuno is great by the way love the actress um uh, so that's supposed to be a Lysine accent from Island of Lys. Is that where uh, Tyrion's lady came from? Uh, we don't know where she came from. Oh. Who's from Lys? Why is that important? Uh, it's not specifically important that she's from Lys. Oh. It's the point that she's from somewhere that doesn't speak the common tongue of Westeros. Oh. And so they just made up an accent for the show. Gotcha. Problem is it just kind of sounded like a bad French accent. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you're going to do that. It's really hard to come up with new accents. Yeah. Yeah. have to draw on a reference there. But yeah, I, I liked the, the character. If you mute it and put on closed captions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's switch over to Rings of Power. Okay, Rings of Power. We've got a full cast of characters got there too. got a whole lot. All right, where should we start? Uh, Which plot thread? God, I don't know if we're going to be able to like... This is going to be long. This is, is going to okay. be a long episode. This is okay. There's uh, a lot to talk about. Let's start with... Let's start with Galadriel. Okay. Galadriel. And her surroundings. Okay. Actually, I want to kind of go broader. Okay. Um, I feel like Lord of the, the Rings of Power did a really good job of non-luxury, powerful feminism. Okay. Like, every single female character felt, like, genuinely, like as strong if not stronger than the men that were around them mm-hmm. but it didn't feel like a lecture yeah i didn't even think about that until this very that's moment exactly yeah. why it was done so well no, like yeah it was like house of the dragon you do feel that but you're kind of supposed to yeah like, we'll get into right they now, get but. yeah they do a little bit more about that yeah. uh but it's just like galadriel like i i think it wasn't a lecture because it wasn't like uh so i i have talked to uh several of our friends that uh about like how to write a powerful female character um mm-hmm. uh, because is, as a man is as something a man, you know much about exactly uh <laughs> because like i wanted to write some female characters in my uh 
D&D stuff that were powerful. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, how do you do that right? And a lot of the stuff that they were talking about is like, uh, if you like, is is not writing them as if they are doing these awesome things as an exception mm-hmm. to that. And I think that's something that's the difference between the two of them, two of the shows, is that with Rings of Power, all the women are just are just powerful. It's yeah. not that they are behaving as an exception to what women should be doing. Right. And like, and so like I, I think I pay attention more to like powerful women in media mm-hmm. more just because like, I don't know why I care so much about it. I they mean, turn you on. Sure. <laughs> I fetishize powerful women. Uh, Better than feet. Oof. Laris. Oh boy. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I was watching it. I was like, this is like really, really well done. Anytime mm-hmm. that these like, like with Disa and Galadriel yeah, yeah. and, yeah. um, Muriel. Uh, huh? Muriel. Yes. Uh, Bronwyn even, to some extent. Yeah. She was a lot smaller. Like, I, she didn't... My note on her is that she exists very loudly. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't do very much, but just things happen. I feel like nobody in the Southlands except for Arondir really does anything. Well, yeah. no, she does. She, I, like, yeah. she like leads like the charge on, hey, uh, shit's going wrong. Yeah. And everyone's like, no. And she's like, you're idiots. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I felt like all of the all the women in the show were like mm-hmm. really well done in that respect. Yeah. Um, yay. Feminism. Yay. Uh, but that's not the only thing about their characters. No. That's good. No, uh, Galadriel canonically, this is all nonsense. Um, right. She's never been described as a warrior. You can, you can take the, the Uzi rule. Are you familiar with the Uzi rule? Mm-mm. Um, orcs are never explicitly described as not carrying Uzi submachine guns. Uh, therefore they must've carried them. Just didn't. Oh, use them. nice. It's not my original construction, yeah. but it's a, it's a it's a thing, a fantasy trope. Mm-hmm. You can get away with a lot of yeah fudging source material by saying, oh, I didn't say we couldn't. Yeah. Um, uh, J.K. Rowling does a lot of that. Yep. Never says that Hermione's white. Shut shut up. Also, it does. Does it? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Her pale face peeked around the tree. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. Uh, that being said, um, I like this character. I don't know if she even had to be galadriel necessarily but i I like the character for who she is is the she is i again i keep coming back to this but i think one of the big overarching themes of this season is the choice to do good um and the the value of choosing and the um the fact that even if the lines between good and evil appear kind of blurry you Mm. still you choose to do good um and she is the one who is most focused on the 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 quest for good the fight against evil and she sort of teeters on that line between darkness and a lot of characters around her are like, hey, you're maybe part of the problem here. Circles of violence and all that mm. stuff. But she's very driven. And she the, I think the actress um, is it just pronounced Morphid? I have no idea. It's probably it's Welsh. It's probably like Marfith, Marfith or oh, something. Yeah, something like that. But uh, Morphid Clark. I'm just going to go with Morphid. Okay. Um, it's Morphid time. Morphid time. Many Morphid Powder Rain yeah. Power Rangers. <laughs> Oh, I was saying Mor- uh, Morbius when he actually like in the movie says it's Morbin time. Have you not seen that? I have not seen that. Oh man. After the movie came out, everyone was like making jokes about it. I thought it was a joke until I saw the clip where he oh, literally says it's Morbin time. Wow. It is bad. All right. Don't see that movie. I want to see that movie. All Remember right. when they did a slowed down version of Fear Elise in the trailer for no yes. reason whatsoever? Yeah. That was good. It was good stuff. That's not the movie we were talking about. It's not the movie we were talking about. Galadriel. Galadriel. Uh, yeah, no, um, she has 
sort of a both in the character and in the performance she has sort of an unrelenting intensity that i think is really important i think if they'd given her more moments of levity um or more i don't know sort of softening around the edges or humanizing moments i mm-hmm. think it would have weakened the character overall um and i like just her single-minded determined yeah uh determination yep maybe she comes across a little one note but i think it works and i think it's a character that you need to have in that role yeah just to drive the story yeah tell things yeah uh god there's so many characters i don't think we can cover them all we can cover the important ones yeah um numenorians numenorians as a whole yeah i mean i obviously liked the the royal family and then the uh Elendil and his kids and mm-hmm. like kind of their whole whole dynamic yeah um i didn't care about the royals at all muriel was super flat for me mm. um just a lot of nothing burgers of speeches and then gets blinded yeah and then old king that doesn't have anything useful to say and um boring farazan although what well, a think, beard on farazan <laughs> i think well i honestly i disagree with you on the farazan thing like i i think that's a really interesting so i have a really important thing theme that i think is the main theme ah. for the entire show okay uh that i will get into a little bit because i can tie it into every single story does it have to do with power and the rings that the power forms no when... okay uh it has a, it has to do with a theme that is actually powerful in lord of the rings as well Ooh. uh and so it's also a theme that I love a lot. So maybe I'm just seeing it where it's not. fatherhood. Uh, weirdly. Yes. Okay. That's another thing. I'm not going to talk about it. Uh, uh, yeah, there is a lot of father. It, there's energy. a lot of parents. Like, so yeah. things about like legacy and like parents and children. So there's yep. a lot of things about like having kids and like raising kids. And then also like respecting, like, uh, so you've got the Numenorean, uh, that ritual of like blessing the kids or whatever. Mm-hmm. So like what's coming up, uh, you have with the, uh, the, um, the Harfoots, these mm-hmm. whole things about like the people like your the the ones mm-hmm. that have passed. Her goodbye to her father is her listing the things that her father taught her. Yeah, like it's literally a whole bunch of like parents and kids and stuff like that. And a lot of things kind of teetered on like the your parents are right mm-hmm. lecture, which I'm not a big fan of because like <laughs> it's because it's like it's it's deifying parents. A little bit. Uh and when really the point should be hey your parents are humans and they make mistakes mm-hmm. they are wiser yes and you should listen to them right. but also they they make mistakes so yep. when they make mistakes don't hate them yep um if you can make god bleed that that kind of stuff sure uh but the, yes that's actually it kind of ties a little bit into the main theme that okay. i'll get to all but right, like right, we'll talk about it but yeah you were not wrong okay cool. um where was i going oh yeah so the the, the future of numenor mm-hmm. was I think those the, the those characters like Farazan being the the racist mm-hmm. uh, closed doors to anyone that's not Numenorean. Yep, um, they're gonna come steal our jobs. Y- yes, like that's like they a lot of like strong commentaries on American nationalism and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think that was the point: uh, is this empire and having an empire that's really powerful that is um so they were given the land right no they took it with the blood of their ancestors but yeah they were kind of green they were literally given it to them by the elves yeah and like they think that they earned it because they were given it to I mean, them they did yeah they fought well, they, nobly yeah. in the war against morgoth but also i was about to start making a comparison with america but america took the land yeah. with bloodshed <laughs> um <laughs> and oppression and so, I don't know, I, I feel like there was a lot of, like, American commentary 
within Numenor. They probably they couldn't bit. change that Numenor was given to them versus yeah. taken, but I think that there are like the the present day American commentary with it. I, I think it was more broadly just imperial structures in general. Yeah. But incidentally you can get some yeah. American commentary in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, uh Yeah. Make Numenor great again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But also like the the kind of the who holds the strings. It kind of like did a similar thing to with Viserys. Mm -hmm. Where it was like, hey, this guy who's not really doing anything. You have these few people who kind of speak on his behalf, but Mm -hmm. who's really doing it? And like, is this really what the king wants and stuff? Yeah. Um, House of the Dragon did it better. Yeah. I will agree. Yep. Um, Also, we didn't even talk about Viserys, but... He's great. Patty Considine. Yes. Perfect. I, oh, God. I had no idea how he was going to portray a Targaryen ruler going up to the show, but yeah. great stuff. Yep. Who was he in Harry Potter? Was he in Harry Potter? Maybe. Somebody, I think. If he was, it was not an important character. Um, He's, I don't even know. He's like in all kinds of things, but I don't know what any of them are. <laughs> uh, Oh, he was in Peaky Blinders. Yeah, perfect. He was not in Harry Potter. He's been on all of the British stuff. Who was Except Harry Potter? Peaky Blinders. Doesn't matter. Uh, where were we? T- uh, Numenorians. Uh, mm-hmm. Elendil. Elendil. And his kids. Yeah. Uh, that, I felt like, was our most human touchstone for the Numenorians, which was a lot of, I am high and mighty and I'm giving a grandiose speech about yeah. going to Middle-earth. Elendil felt almost like a real person, mm-hmm. um, which is a drastic rewriting of his backstory. Oh. Because um, he is Elendil, heir of Elros. Like, he is incredibly important. He's descended from Erendil. So he's, like, super important. But the way they write him is just kind of like, oh, yeah, he's, he's important. He's kind of, he's fought his way up. He's, um, but he's likable. He's human. I well, think, I think they're intentionally playing down his importance yes. because he is playing down his importance. Yeah. And it, it, it does kind of redefine the character, but I think it was necessary because mm-hmm. we need someone in Numenor that we can sympathize with on a human level. Yeah. We need someone that we can just kind of understand emotionally. Yeah. And he's our guy. Yeah. Um, there's just that, that shot where, um, after Muriel is blinded and they're kind of talking, overlooking the lake and Muriel's like, we will come back in force and we will rid this land of our enemies. And then he's like, and then she's like, let's go to my ship, captain, captain. And then it cuts to him like a few feet away. And he's just like on the verge of sobs. Mm-hmm. Just that was powerful. That was a good that was, one. That was good. Yeah. Good moment. I loved the comparison between. So actually, okay, well, I'll come back to it a little bit. Cause I want to talk about hunky man. who was totally Sauron. <laughs> it was Sauron. Uh, I called it so early. Good. Like there are when apparently he, a lot of hints. Uh, when he literally, like literally, like the second time you see him, when he like is pull, like detaches his raft, mm-hmm. uh, and they talk. I'm like, hmm, this guy. Well, obviously he's not who he se- says he is. Right. Uh, he seems awfully charming. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe he's Sauron, and I just kind of like had that idea, like kind of toss mm-hmm. it in the air, like I do. I at that point, like it was like eight people were like, maybe they're Sauron. Yeah. Um, including you know the stranger and. The, it's poppy it was poppy all along um <laughs> uh, it was when he broke a dude's arm on a wall mm-hmm. i was like that man's not human yeah <laughs> <laughs> that guy's sauron that man like, not man <laughs> he's been he's been charming and matt told me he was charming yep uh 
He's from the Southlands, which I don't know much about the Southlands, but I'm pretty sure that is Mordor. Yeah. Uh, he's like the king or whatever. Like, I, he's Sauron. Yeah. Uh, and no, so it was not surprising when they revealed it. it. Rewatching it, knowing that he was Sauron, they do a really consistent job. And they, they've spoken about this after the show. Every single line can be interpreted from the perspective that, yeah, he's Sauron. Um, oh, yeah. Someone asks him, who are you called? And he's like, I've called many things. Uh, he's like, it depends. Depends on how close we are. Oh, yeah. 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 So he never like really explicitly lies. Yeah. Sauron, the deceiver. Yeah. Does not lie in yeah. the entire show. I which is awesome. Love that. I'm trying to actually what's actually kind of funny is I'm trying to do that with one of my characters and like one of my villains in D&D. <laughs> it's going to be really hard to pull off when you're improvising. Right. And you're like. Someone asks you a question, you're like, oh, God, okay, how do I answer this in two, in two ways at once? How do I answer a way this doesn't reveal that I'm secretly a villain all along? Oh, yeah. no, I've given the game away. <laughs> Forget that. Expunge um, that from the record. But I, uh, I I do love the early on where you get, like, he's he's putting on this face of, like, a reluctant leader. Yep. Uh, like, a, a king. He is the king, and he doesn't want to be. Yeah, they draw the Aragorn parallels pretty hard. Yes. Just to kind of lure you in. And also putting him directly next to uh isildur who was like hey i should be king of this thing like the west because that's kind of what he he's like he's like the heir to uh like they reference like they came from the west they don't explain why they came from the west um but like you i get this i don't even i honestly having read the silmarillion twice and the appendices lord of the rings many times i have no idea what that's all about okay well i get the vibe that he was like that he's he's owed leadership Okay, I never got that sense. Okay. I thought it was more just like he is called to go back to his ancestral homeland or something. Well, like, I get the vibe that, like, well, from that, like, they're called to go back and, like, that they're the rulers. Like, I think I there's something they said that I got from that. Okay. Um, That, like, in my mind, because, again, I don't know the Silmarillion. I don't really know the lore of it. Right. Uh, is that, like, Numenor is a full island and, like, the west half of the island is, like, where they came from and had to leave for some whatever reason. His wife died or something. Mm-hmm. And, like, he was the ruler of it mm-hmm. or, like, really, really powerful. And, like, that's what Elind- or Isildur is, like, that's what my, that's what my destiny is, is to be a ruler of some sort. And so, like, putting him next to Sauron who's pretending to be reluctant. Like I, I wrote that in my notes. I was like mm-hmm. that unique comparison around yeah. Galadriel. Okay. Uh, just so she has these two different, like kind of the angel and devil sure. of like s- desire to rule. Sure. Okay. I see oh, it. Uh, which um, touching on the dead mother thing. Did you notice how like every single character has a, some sort of dead parent or important figure in their background? Um, I wrote a list. And I just lost my list. Uh, oh, um, Poppy's parents, uh, Sadok's wife, uh, Lendil and Isildur's wife slash mother, uh, Muriel's mother, and eventually her father, Durin's mother, um, other Durin's wife, I guess, um, Theo and Bronwyn's father slash husband, uh, Halperan's mentor and hero Morgoth. <laughs> I mean, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's common kind of throughout everything. Oh, well, yeah. Isn't it? A lot of dead people. Yeah. Everyone needs their uh, woman in a fridge. Yep. Sometimes it's a man in a fridge. Yeah. Sometimes we like it's the progress. A, sometimes it's a Maiar in a fridge. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that bit. Sometimes it's a dog in a fridge. Oh. John Wick. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah. many characters. No, uh, Halbrand. Um. Yeah. Uh. So, what did you think of the Sauron reveal itself in Sandling? Oh. I don't know. 
I feel like there were rules that it was abiding by that never that they never actually told us. Mm-hmm. Like, what was he? Do? He was like making her hallucinate or something, and yeah. like, I don't know. I guess it's like the it was like vague, powerful magic, and I'm like, vague, powerful magic. Yeah. And then thinking back, like they that kind they kind of do that all the time with Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Like Gandalf can just do whatever he yeah. wants. No, the rules are not laid out. But like, I don't know. I wouldn't Galadriel have been able to sense that. Aren't they real good at sensing darkness? Um, yeah. Because Sauron isn't Morgoth. No. He's really just a... Because he's not... He's the next level up, right? From Gandalf? Uh, he's basically on par with Gandalf. He has been more powerful in history and has been around longer. Uh, okay. But they're sort of comparable. Because it's the the Maiar are the gods. Or Sorry, the I, I said that wrong earlier. The Valar. Valar are the... Gods. Oh, Valor of the Gods. Yeah, well, the pantheon below Eru Iluvatar, the right. one. Uh, then the Maiar are Gandalf. Yeah, like oh, because so there's not beings, really one. Basically. And there's like a like the kid of the Maya or the Valar, right? And like or like something like that. Uh, yeah, sorta. I vaguely remember because yeah. I did read part of the Silmarillion, and mm-hmm. I do remember like seeing some videos where like yeah. Sauron is a little more powerful than a yeah, Maiar. He, he's not an ordinary Maiar. Right. Yeah, but. He's still not perfect, and I feel like he wouldn't have been able to like disguise himself that long. Yeah, from Galadriel, who's well, maybe it's because she was so one track mind of like, yeah. And again, he doesn't lie to her. That's true. She just kind of projects onto him what she wants to see. Yeah, and sort of makes his choices for him. And he's like, okay, this is my path now. Yeah. No, uh, the the book handles it very very differently. Um, basically Sauron, uh, assumes the guise of Anatar, Lord of Gifts, which, um, there's a very on the nose reference. If you're a deep cut Lord of the Rings fan, where Albrand is educating Celebrimbor and some of his smithery, which mm-hmm. is very stupid. We'll get to okay. eventually, but, um, uh, he's telling him and Celebrimbor's like, well, thank you. And Albrand says, oh, consider it a gift. Oh, and basically winks at the camera. Nice. And I was like, okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. We, we've read the, the appendices to mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings we get it yeah uh, but he comes he comes as the lord of gifts um galadriel and elrond are suspicious of him but uh don't explicitly say oh this dude sauron um but celebrimbor is swayed by him mm-hmm. in the in the books yep so I, yeah he sort of see it i guess okay um, i for me the reveal was almost perfectly handled um i love where it's like yeah no i didn't lie to you you saved me and i want to go do good stuff now and then they do the inevitable, but I want to rule the world and I'm yeah. actually evil and I have crazy eyes thing. Yeah. Which I think kind of undermines, again, the theme about choosing good. It's the choice that they should be making even when the choice is complicated, right? right. Even when the evil guy is saying the right things and showing the right personality. Um, and he's got guys like Adar that... He, it kind of makes sense. He just, he wants a home for his people. Mm-hmm. You want them to have something where you can lay it out on paper and have it sort of logically be like, okay, I'm not a hundred percent sure I see the difference here. Right. And the good guys and the bad guys, you can lay it out emotionally and be like, okay, I kind of care for both of these guys and I still have to choose good right. even when it's not easy to explain. And I think they kind of undermine that by yeah. doing the full crazy eyes. Okay. Yeah. I'm actually just evil kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it also, not to give away too much, but it undermines things that his character will do later a little bit. Mm. But yeah. Bummer. Yeah. Oh, well, well. I, I felt like it was a real missed opportunity. Yeah. 
We talked a little bit about Elrond already. Yeah. With Durin. Elrond is good. Durin is great. Disa is great. They're yeah. kind of a uh, little trio mm-hmm. bouncing off each other. It's just some of the best stuff. Yep. Talked about Arondir. Uh I will note with Arondir, he was the character he was the elvish character that I think most felt like an elf to me. Interesting. Um and it might just be because they threw him in with a bunch of humans. Right. Um, but he felt sort of removed from their struggle, but not outside of the world entirely he had that sort right. of sense of distance that right. an immortal elf should have um and he was like really good at stuff mm-hmm. but he it, it felt like a, an elf in a human's world gotcha um well balanced in the portrayal i think yeah i agree um it's not legolas jumping up rocks as they fall out of space nice nonsense that never happened <laughs> nope that nope. trilogy does not exist no it doesn't uh but it, it felt I think I think it was it was well done. Yeah. Um, and I think the actor Israel Cruz Cordova. I think. You know, I wrote Sounds this right. down. Yeah. At least the Israel part. Um, yeah. Uh, I thought that his performance was quite good. Again, trying to capture that spirit of he's a little removed from things, but he's yeah. still recognizably sentient in a human kind of direction. Yeah. Um, I thought that worked nicely. Yeah, I agree. Sort of similarly, I think Adar was kind of a good foil to him mm-hmm. as sort of the mini boss with the same thematic undercurrents of like, he feels a little removed from things, but you sort of understand him. Mm-hmm. You can sympathize with him. You understand that he's really good at stuff, but he's just here to do his job. I love Adar. Yeah. I'm excited to see more of him because mm-hmm. he got away, right? When the explosion happened. Yeah. 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 We see him at the um, little thing where it's like the Southlands and then it burns away. And it's Mordor. Yeah. He's chilling on a log there yeah so maybe he'll serve sauron maybe he'll get squished by sauron we'll see oh more of benjen evil benjen benjen stark evil benjen okay did you not connect that no i like ah, it it's the actor oh yeah that's the actor oh okay. who plays benjen <laughs> i did not connect that yeah very good yep i guess we didn't talk about the harfoots we didn't talk about the, the harfoots it, it, you, you're, the Harfoots also play into your theme of choosing good mm-hmm. um, despite everyone being like well only Poppy for a while like mm-hmm. hey we should just like get them on its own get him, let him go on his own whatever yep. uh, and then like everyone finding out and there was also kind of like that the same theme of like uh, outsiders mm-hmm. as well when he got yeah. revealed I liked all of the characters okay. of the Harfoot um, yeah I feel like there was they didn't really give them a whole lot of unique situations to really flesh themselves out. Yeah. It was kind of like the one situation the whole time. Mm-hmm. But like the broken foot and like the fear of being left behind, like yeah. that whole thing like that. That's uh, fine. I like, you know, I, I get everybody's things. And I think yeah. that I think it's kind of the point for them with hobbits is they're very like small problems. Right. And so all the problems were kind of small and like the broken foot and stuff, like hammering home the entire show, like don't get left behind mm-hmm. risking getting left behind and, yeah. you know, being good gets you good back. Yeah. Cause you'll get a literal giant wizard carrying your, uh, your cart. Yeah. No, I, again, I buy it on paper. I just was not super invested. Right. I did really like Nori and Poppy together. Um, they just, they have perfect platonic chemistry. Yeah. Um, the like when we first meet him they're out stealing berries mm-hmm. um and nori realizes there's a wolf and just kind of mouths to poppy yeah and 
just that little moment of realization and communication between the characters. Yep. You know that they have history. You know that they work well together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they just continue to do th- so throughout. I thought that was really good. The rest of the Harfoots are just little bland stereotypes, mostly. <laughs> One problem. Let's get a little racist here. Uh oh. Too many white Harfoots. The uh, there's given there's one black static and then no one else is, or like person well, of color. No, uh, there's the black. Um, no, static is black. Uh-huh. All of the matriarchs are black or dark skinned. Why are all the kids white? Why are any of them white? Oh, this is this is a small self contained tribe. They should be pretty pretty well homogenous, mixed. Yeah. Right? Why aren't they all black? Huh. <laughs> Like I, it, maybe it, they turn black when they get into like become right leaders, <laughs> like like bananas. <laughs> <laughs> you, <laughs> I don't know, because that's a really good point. Because yeah, it felt internally inconsistent, and like if you need to meet your diversity quota, this is how you do it: you just shove some black actors in some roles, some secondary roles, and call it good. But that doesn't feel consistent. You know, House of the Dragon, for one thing, functionally, it made a lot of sense to have the Valarians be black, but partly it's internally consistent. They're all black. They all look alike. This one, we have a small self-contained group of people who, by the way, are not human. So we can kind of do whatever we want with them. Apparently they are make them all barfoots, Dunlidings and Gonadorians are described as brown by Tolkien. Okay. Apparently Sam is supposed to be brown. Okay. Yeah. So like should, at least they, they got some skinned. of them. They should all be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I genuinely think they all should have been dark skinned. Yeah. And then if you need to meet your diversity quota, why not actually have some main characters be dark skinned? Good. Well, Aaron Deer. Yeah. Around here. Okay. Got one. one of them. Got Come one of on them. Amazon. Yeah. yeah. Ineffective. Yep. Yeah. I didn't think about that though. That's a, I mean, I did probably think about it a couple times where I was yeah. like, Hey, Sadik is, I like didn't think about. I else. realized I realized something was bothering me just about the the group as a whole, mm-hmm. and I think that's part of it. They yeah, just, they didn't all seem like they were part of the same people. It yeah. felt like they were a bunch of extras that had been thrown into the backgrounds of scenes without consideration for what this group should actually be. That's true. So, too many uh, white people. What do you mean about Gandalf? Confused and lost Gandalf. Yeah, whatever. Didn't really do have anything to do. Toss him. He'd better not have anything to do with the story because he doesn't canonically. Oh. He doesn't exist at this point. Oh. Or has not been sent to Middle Earth at this point. Well, you said they've comp- compiled a bunch of stories to- together, right? Uh, Yeah, but this is still, this is supposed to be like, he doesn't come to Earth, Middle Earth until after where the show is clearly going to end. Oh. Like a thousand years after. So. Oh, well, you're going to get over it. No, I won't. All right. It's stupid. I don't like it. I was, again, I was not interested in that plot thread at all. Who could it turn out to be? Who is a a, a Maiar or somebody that is powerful? Well, they explicitly said it's an Istar, which is one of the wizards. Okay, well, which of them could it theoretically be? They all came at the same time. Oh, dang it. Bummer! I was, I was really hoping it would end up being Saruman, because at least that's more interesting. Yeah. <laughs> because he starts out as genuinely good good. and then he is corrupted by basically the ring or the the quest for the ring Mm -hmm. so that'd be much more interesting to kind of still could be like just because he said to always follow your nose doesn't mean he has to be gandalf no that's all of the istar could be really fond of using your noses that's entirely true and uh they never say they aren't the late great christopher lee had a heck of a nose on him uh real that is true sorry christopher lee that was unkind (laughs) (laughs) it was unseemly yeah uh no um 
but I mean, that's just the writers telling you it's Gandalf. Yeah. That's a that's a wink and a nod, a basically an Easter egg kind of thing. Mm. Or not even an Easter egg, just a this is what this is, without explicitly saying it. So uh, I think we I think we just need to give them the benefit of the doubt and see what they're gonna do with him next season. Okay. Like, I won't. Maybe he's coming down to see some stuff and he'll disappear. Maybe he's just like do you so want to check in? It's just a dead end plot thread all along. Maybe, or maybe he like sends like he meets somebody, says some wise things, and maybe he's like a a really long seated like wisdom ex machina. Okay, like maybe he'll and in, in impart some good wisdom to Galadriel and whatever that is, or he'll do like a magic thing. Yeah, doesn't he? He gets one of the he gets the fire ring, doesn't he? At the end. At the end of all this. Yeah. No, because he doesn't have it when he's gray. He gets it when he turns white, right? No, he gets to hang on to it at the end after the One Ring is destroyed. It's Cirdan who holds it. Cirdan right, but he has it in Lord of the Rings when he's the white. Uh, oh yeah, he's he's loaned it. Okay, and then he keeps it at the yeah, he yeah, keeps it and after he's holding all on to it at the end. Yeah, it better not freaking give it to him in the show. No, because that that's a violation to the to the movies. Like yeah. that's at least what I assume they're probably going to do is they're going to stake. Like what kind of what the MCU is doing, mm-hmm. violating canon all over the place with yeah. first movies versus comics, yep. but like they may just be creating their own. Yeah, they well they have to. Yeah, um, there's a rights issue. They only yeah. have the rights to the appendices, so they yep. can't explicitly do stuff out of Lord of the Rings yeah. or Silmarillion exactly as it is. So you're gonna have to get past it because <sighs> they not, can't. Still not going to. All right, uh, that's okay. enough for characters. I think. Yeah, let's talk big picture. Did you like the? The cutterie of characters more for one group or the other? Uh, I liked the uh, Rings of Power more. Okay. Uh, they just, they felt more fun, broadly speaking. Okay. I liked the House of Dragon characters better. I felt like they felt more fun, broadly speaking. <laughs> uh, maybe not more fun, but uh, they felt, mm, the the main ones at least felt better drawn, more better deeply defined. drawn. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the um, Rings of Power characters end up being kind of one note. I think my problem is just that there was I, I couldn't keep track of everybody. And that's fair. That's entirely valid. And that is a legitimate criticism. Yeah. Because in, in Rings of Power, it. you at least have your small little ecosystems of like five characters. Yeah. And every time it cuts between them, you mm-hmm. are with those five and exactly. you remember them. It simplifies things. Yeah. And with, with House of the Dragon, you have 37 that are always in play yep. at every given moment. And yep. you're like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> it's a mess. Yep. Yep. Uh, what's next? Writing. All right. Should I talk about my big theme or should I save it for a little bit longer? Uh, which is this for? For both of them? For, uh, oh, sorry, for uh, Rings of Power. We'll start with House of the Dragon. Okay. Again, we've been doing that one first on yeah. all these. Uh, writing, I think, is definitely better with Rings of Power. Or not, with, with House of Dragons. I was going to say, okay. Interesting. Uh, I, think, I think the, yeah. like, I mean, we've t- going back to the story. Like, it's mm-hmm. clearly more streamlined. Like, they know right. exactly what they're going to do and everything plays yeah. very close and that lets them do some nice things like some parallels mm-hmm. um you'll have cross-cutting scenes which are kind of nice there's the um uh the tournament murder versus the bloody birth scene in episode yep. one um there's the sex for pleasure versus sex for duty yeah uh, cross-cutting in episode four yeah um there's like little bookends like the two uh Damon auto confrontations with rhaenyra landing on a dragon mm-hmm. um in episodes two and ten yeah you can get away with that sort of thing when you're focused and you know where you're going and everything connects. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I think uh, there weren't a whole lot of themes. I think there wasn't. So this is the big 
my big overall thing mm-hmm. with, between the two is I think Rings of Power had more to say mm-hmm. than House of the Dragon. I think House of the Dragon had more of a story, like it, it knew where it wanted mm-hmm. to go. Okay. But it didn't feel like there were really a whole lot of compelling theme mm-hmm. in it to walk away from thinking about it. Interesting. I got some big themes that I came out thinking about. Okay. Um, one of them was, uh, just the kind of the inevitability of violence and the cycles of violence and like that gets passed from the parents to the kids and Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Um, that kind of ties into the idea of the dragons as something that's not really controllable, Mm -hmm. um, only up to a point. Uh, again, you try to wield violence for powerful ends and the realm burns. Right. There was, uh, the, uh, a lot of the, the, what I'm going to call gender politics for the lack of a better term here, but the question's about, okay, what's a woman's role in this world? Can the woman exceed this? And then the, the consistent contrasts between the violence of childbirth and childbearing versus the violence that men wreak on each other for sport. I feel like that's more of an internal theme though. Mm -hmm. That's not a theme that really like, it it does have some threads in the real world, but like, Mm -hmm. In the real world, we should not be questioning what women's roles are no. in society. So, like, that's very, like, so that question is very internal to the show itself. Okay. That is not something that it's really posing to us. It's posing to itself and internally okay. writing on that theme. Okay. But, like, it's not something that is intended to draw us to think about it. Okay. I agree it's looking at a different world, but I, I don't think, I think it's still important to be thinking about the this is going to sound way more progressive than it means to for me but um i think it's important to be thinking about the uh the societal structures that we have built and the role that we've sort of arbitrarily or that women have sort of arbitrarily been consigned to within those structures yes and yeah like okay modern society is doing a pretty good job of breaking out of that but it's still important to take a bird's eye view of what's going on and think about okay why does this actually matter Okay. Why does it actually matter that it's a male heir that succeeds the throne? Okay. I I can see. I I think that when you structure it in that way, yeah, it's more, more relevant. Yep. Okay. You're going to miss me. Continue. Yes. Very good. Um, yeah, no, uh, mostly that's it. I thought that those were kind of the two big themes, the, the violence and the femininity. Okay. Um, and those sort of cross cut into each other a little bit. I think the third one, I think there's a third, the third one that you, melded in with the violence but it's like yeah. the control of power yeah yeah power and power i think that and violence can yeah. have i think that can stand on its own as a theme okay that's i would not object to that yeah because it gives me yet another point yes, to say you're wrong fair. there's lots of themes <laughs> <laughs> so for my big thing with rings of power is tradition versus progress okay it is one of my favorite themes to be played with that's one of the great themes of human history right it there is it's obviously a big one that Tolkien really cared about a lot. Yes. And I think that's something that rings of power respected and Mm -hmm. why it made it so prevalent throughout the entire thing. So Mm -hmm. you have, uh, the Harfoots Mm -hmm. are, uh, Oh God, what was the, um, the parallel with them? They basically stick to their prescribed year round migration. Yes. Yeah. And And they have have... other little rituals and festivals and all their rules for organizing their society and that it works for them. Yeah. But then you have, uh, You've got your your little kid, um, Nori. Mm -hmm. Almost forgot her name again. Nori questioning that, right? Um, And so you have so that one is more of a uh, it's it's just directly questioning 
yeah. tradition. And you introduce a chaotic outside element, re a giant hairy naked man falling yeah. from the sky. <laughs> Um, and that complicates things. Yep. You have to stop and ask questions about your traditions when mm-hmm. they run up against something new. Yep. Uh, with the uh, Southlanders, you have mm-hmm. a lot of the, this is what their ancestors did, <laughs> and it worked for us. And then you have, you know, uh, maybe we don't, and yeah. we push back. We're free to make our own choices. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you have the Numenorians. Mm-hmm. That very much is tradition versus uh, versus progress. That one was so explicitly done it almost came out flat. Yeah, uh, and then you have uh, Gilgalad and the dwarves and stuff, and the dwarves being like, "Where we should dig?" And Dad's like, "No," because mm-hmm. other thing like you get the you get that. It's just like it's very clear in every single yeah that's, uh, thread. That's good, and also every single thread has its own themes within it right um and so you've got the choosing good Mm -hmm. like uh you have with the harfoots conformity sure uh the nobody goes off trail nobody gets left behind the whole point is that you stay yep on the beaten path yep if you don't you're gonna die like very much a conformity like that one was aggressive yeah conformity i feel like the reason there's less of the tradition in that one is because there's so much conformity <laughs> theme. There's not space for the tradition versus exactly. progress. Um, with the Southlands, you have survivalism. What do you do yeah. to survive? How far are you willing to go to survive? Yeah. Um, Will you stab a teenager in the neck? <laughs> <laughs> um, with the Numenorians, you have uh, uh, acceptance. You have. I'd stab a teenager in the neck just for. Just because teenagers are annoying, man. <laughs> uh, I don't like that earlier in this episode. You also said I work with a lot of kids. It's a bad contrast right yeah. there. Gage cut one of those out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, leave them both in and then call the police. With the New Orleans, you have, uh, you know, nationalism, mm-hmm. uh, uh, acceptance, um, exclusionary, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff with, uh, well, there's not really much to do in Linden. Because Linden's kind of a home base for the other. Yeah, the elves just kind of float around and yeah. send people out to go and be involved in more interesting plots. Which um, I skipped over one of my character notes that I was really proud of and wanted to mention. Was so, what a hottie? Uh, no, uh, Gil Galad, <laughs> uh-huh. um, as played by Benjamin Walker. Um, can I read you a little bit of Tolkien poetry? Sure. Uh, Gil Galad was an elven king. Of him, the harpers sadly sing, the last whose realm was fair and free between the mountains and the sea. His sword was long, his lance was keen. His shining helm afar was seen. The countless stars of heaven's field were mirrored in his silver shield. Is that the character we got? Nope. Not even slightly. No, nah, um, we got a fatso with a <laughs> throne in a robe. I described him as a guy feels like a presidential candidate that gets eliminated after the first debate. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So he's got that face, but not the presence. Yeah. It's just he's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was probably the most disappointing characterization for me from I someone was, who is excited about. I hated these. seeing Gilgalad every yeah. time he was on. I was like, I don't Gil care Gallad. about what you're saying, huh? Gilgalad. Gil Gilgalad. 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 Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah. Now. So there was the pervasive theme that was through everything, mm-hmm. uh, and like that's one of the themes that he cared a lot that Tolkien cared a lot about. Yeah. The. Uh, Tearing down the trees and industrialism and stuff. Yeah, scouring of the Shire. Yep. Um, and then each of them had their own unique theme that was not at all touched in the other ones. Right. And I felt like that was something that was like that I really appreciated because mm-hmm. it was something that I could really grip. Yeah. 
every time is like the progress tradition one wasn't super deep in a lot of them uh, right. except with the exception of Numenor. Sure. Um, but then each of them had a really strong theme mm-hmm. on their own. And so I feel like that's why I think rings of power had more to say okay. is it had a lot of, it had a lot more to say to common people. When okay. you talk about like the cycle of power and like control sure. and violence like that, yeah. that's something that is more societal. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, but it's not resonant. Yeah. And then you have conformity is so big, especially with our generation, mm-hmm. like with the internet and stuff All these like kids that. Kids on their phones at the same time on TikTok. Yeah. Um, you get, uh, with the tradition versus progress is constantly a struggle for that's basically the tension of organizing human society yeah it, for over the entirety of its history the uh exclusionary like racism mm-hmm. like the numenor like i constantly was thinking racists with the numenorians yeah uh and that's that's huge especially for right now mm-hmm. like all of, like these themes were just things that we see more regularly mm-hmm. and it felt like 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 the rings of power riders were like we mm-hmm can fit each of these in with each of these storylines and they did it really really well okay so that's my that's my big thing all right i like your big thing big thing with a lot of little things yep it's a a big thing thing. yep yeah i didn't think about that tradition versus progress and i think that's very well noted because that is something that was kind of the one of the cores of tolkien's yep just worldview philosophy Mm -hmm. i i think the like the the choice to do good is also another very tolkienian thing Mm mm-hmm um, the idea that there is a good and righteous path in the world and you, you have to set yourself on that path. I think he's got a much more thorough commentary on good versus evil. Good versus evil yeah. is just a theme that's in I, everything. Yeah. It's that's the other classic human struggle. Yeah. All the time, but he just does it better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I felt like, again, every every plot thread tied into that in some sense. Mm-hmm. Like, should we should the Numenorians choose to go save the Southlands? Yep. Um, should we choose to save the elves? Yep. Should we choose to go over to Adar or should we mm-hmm. stay and fight for goodness and righteousness or fight? Well, for I think with them, it was even that they mans. didn't know what good was. Yeah. They were like, their, their choice existing. was more and more of this, like choose not evil. Like yeah. they didn't have the other, like everyone else yeah. kind of has the two, like, you know what good and you know what bad is all their perspective was is evil and not as evil yeah or like it's just the other evil or die fighting yeah and yep. so that yeah I, I think that that it does that well as well where like it does give you those different mm-hmm. kind of you have the good versus evil spectrum of yeah what exists and you have each of those storylines like so actually here's a, a great example so the southlands is very much on the uh so you take you have the middle point, mm-hmm. which is the true center of good versus evil. That's, okay. Uh, then you have the far evil, which okay. is super red, and you have the far uh, good, which is super white. I almost said blue, because I don't want to keep politics out of it. <laughs> uh, maybe green. Green, yeah. Galadriel sees the entire spectrum. Yep. And so it's really easy for her to choose good, because she knows right. what the most ideal is good of good is. Yep. Harfoot's don't really see much of the evil yeah they they're kind of in the middle yeah. and in good and so choosing good is really just kind of like oh what's the better good this is the right thing to do yeah, yeah. uh the southlanders are on the other side they yeah. don't see the good they see, the best they see is neutral yeah and just so it's survive just like and exist. it's really hard mm-hmm. to see what's that what how do you choose what the less evil is mm-hmm. like that's the trolley thing yeah 
Uh, and so like, that's, that's their thing. And then the Numenorians are kind of just like in the neutral neutral because yeah. they're not really struggling. They're just like, I don't know. Our understanding of what's good and evil is really just kind of like, I don't know what's kind of good. What's kind of not as good. Yeah. Like you kind of have these, this, the spectrum mm-hmm. and each of these storylines places mm-hmm. your window at yeah. a different place. Beautifully analogized. I like that. Yay. <laughs> Rings of power is better. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I go that far. Uh, yeah, no. Okay. All right. So that's some good discussion there on themes. Yeah. Um, I love themes. Yeah. Capital T themes. Let's get some themes. Um, Andor had some really good themes in this last Stop episode. It. it was like, it was self-contained. Stop it. It's like, it's setting Stop you up it. for this. I'm going to smack you in the nose. It's like, it, it, it does this theme really explicitly um, through Andor's character himself. But before that theme kicks in, in his storyline, you're already picking up on it from other storylines. Mm. And it's incredible. All right. Like I was thinking about it before he started you doing were his thing. About it, it was it was great. It was I moved to tears. Right. It was beautiful. Not what we're talking about. Not what we're talking about. <laughs> I told you we were going to get something there. Uh, yeah. So that's that. That's the thing. I think just the so while Rings of Power struggles because it has so many stories mm-hmm. that gives it room to make more thorough commentary. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Let's get a little more micro with it and talk okay. about like uh sort of scene structures and okay. just like I'm less uh, good at this. Yeah. So um I I'm struggling to to define the the ground rules here, but um just like I love some of the things like uh the the dinner scene in episode eight of House of the Dragon. Yeah or the the feast at the end of episode five, where they just they put a bunch of characters in a room. And they set up all these different points of tension and then just kind of let the pot boil over. Yeah. Um, with the, the music getting gradually more intense, but it's diegetic. I, I think House of the Dragon um, did a really good job with like setting up these little scenes where you can have these character moments and interactions mm-hmm. that are outside of the important plot points that happen. Okay. For the most part, um, because again, it is a show that is largely driven by big plot point. Right. Let's cut ahead six years to the next big plot point. Yeah. And so I think it, it did a great job of setting up these writing character driven scenes where um, it can stop and flesh people out a little more. Yeah. Um, and things um, which no, I'll save that for music. It's a music thing. Okay. Uh, probably my single favorite sequence in the entirety of either show was the hunt for the white heart in episode three of uh, house of the dragon it occupies like the first two thirds they go out to the the hunting sort of the big grand campgrounds and the king's got his massive tent and then they go out hunting and Rhaenyra's getting marriage propositioned by Mr. Lannister and everyone else and she runs off into the woods and there's the boar and they kill the boar and the king they they hunt down a, a big elk a big stag and they they kind of just tie it up and the king tries to stab it a couple times with the spear and then the white heart actually remember this I don't know how you don't remember this because this was incredible top to bottom. Every single bit of it. Oh, my God. That's um, probably a long time ago. Yeah. Like it, it, the tension is building between Rhaenyra and Viserys because this is after he's married Alicent and mm-hmm. started that rift. And um, and now Viserys is trying to marry her off and she kind of runs off and gets upset and all his deepest laid plans are, are getting worse and worse. And so he just he gets drunker and more bitter and he's just kind of sitting in this gloomy tent environment and mm. Lord Lionel strong becomes an actual character instead of just a set piece in the small council. Cause he offers some good advice to the King and then the Lannisters are important. And um, we get to see Sir Laris for the first time or Lord Laris, I guess 
um, Clubfoot. Yeah. And then just the, it, it, it's not even like it's specifically thematically saying something, but just the, the impotence of the, they have to tie the stag down for the king and he just kind of walks up to it and stabs it with the ceremonial sphere, spear and just, he's, he's so depressed about it. Wasn't it not even the white heart? It wasn't even the white heart. Okay. I vaguely remember this part, but like, yeah. And he's just, he's, it's just, it's crushing in the, just the way it's done where it's like this sort of glassy pre-dawn weirdness. And then meanwhile, Rhaenyra and Kristen Cole are sitting up overlooking the valley and the white heart just kind of comes out of the woods next Mm -hmm. to them and they just kind of watch it. Oh, incredible scene construction and it does so much to lay all these characters on their their particular paths moving forward okay i needed to get that out of my system because (laughs) that was just an orgasmic 40 minutes of screen time for me i uh and you don't even remember remember a lot of it so that's that's depressing for me yeah but no i felt like that was the good strength of of house of the dragon overall is it had extended sequences and prolonged things where it's just we're going to do some character stuff. This mm-hmm. doesn't have to mean anything. We're yeah. going to do some character stuff and we're going to trust ourselves. That hunting scene does not appear at all in fire and blood, mm-hmm. um, which admittedly fire and blood is just plot point to plot point yeah. history kind of thing. So the, the writers and the showrunners trusting themselves to just go out and create the bulk of an episode that doesn't exist and doing such a good job pulling it off. That means a lot to me. I will say yes, uh, that I, I agree. How's the dragon is paced a lot slower so that you like it's, simultaneously paced very quickly and slowly mm-hmm. uh paced quickly on a macro level slowly on a micro level yeah. like you don't get those like i mean you do get some of them those like slow the meaningless five minute interaction like, yeah that, yeah and they're not all meaningless no some of them kind of are i mean yeah yeah i say meaningless but like not necessarily plot driving i feel like with house of the dragon the character moments are more setting up are setting up what's to come right when rings of power the character moments are to explain where they are yeah and i i think there's something to that because rings of power as much as it is yeah setting up okay we're gonna have a big war with sauron it is like plot is actually happening through it um house of the dragon is there's going to be plot but you need to care about these characters and understand them so here's here's the the backstory yeah you know how like at the start of both shows there's a little five minute prologue that sort of explains the Mm prehistory house of the dragon is 10 episodes of prehistory for the next three seasons right it's like uh house of the dragon is we saw the warm-up lap Mm -hmm. of the racers that's what season one was and then season one of rings of power was the first lap mm-hmm. but we didn't see the warm-up lap so we're still trying right. it, the show is still trying to explain to us why we should care about what's going on right and house of the dragon is explaining why we should care about what's about to happen mm-hmm. and so like they're very different in that prelude mm-hmm. i guess like house of the dragon's more of a prelude than yeah. rings of power because rings of power is like they've actively been fighting yeah like there is things happening now already. Yep. And so like the big war is yet to come, but there is war happening. Yep. Game of Thrones is there is no war happening and there are wars like elsewhere. Yeah, there's, there's stuff happening. Yeah. Sure. But like, but, like the, the main, the main bulk is, of the plot is going to be the conflict between King Aegon. Queen yeah. Amira. And so I think that's what drives the, the character moments, the writing mm-hmm. of things. That's how they structure it is yeah. Game of Thrones or House of the Dragon is, is taking time because it's not it's not driven by a, a by plot 
point, major plot point deadlines, basically. It kind of is. It, it has its own yeah, so plot it's points, like, it, but it's... It is just a long timeline of plot points, but you get to fill in all the gaps. Yeah. Um, and then House of the... Or Rings of Power is a lot of plot that needs to get done very, like, right. over the course, and so you have less time to... Yeah. Yeah. Which I realize... I'm not this... super attached to how I said that, but we'll move I, on. I, I see what you're coming with. Um, so one thing that I noticed about halfway through my first watch through, and I kind of don't want to say this because it's going to ruin your viewing experience if you ever go back and rewatch it, but every scene is the exact same. It is... You put two characters in a place and they have a conversation and it either ends on a basically look-to-camera bit of wisdom or a dramatic reveal. And it's pretty close to every single scene. Or every single like non-action scene. Okay. All follows that exact same contour. The timing is pretty similar. Mm. Um, and I think that is part of the reason it ended up feeling kind of flat in places for me was okay. there was not a lot of contrast in the, the energy. Right. Whereas House of the Dragon is more willing to do this big, long, extended hunt sequence or a little shorter dinner sequence. Or we'll do two minutes of everyone coming in and swearing fealty to Rainier as the heir or something mm-hmm. like it, it. It's more varied. Um, and so you can kind of rise and fall with the action. Whereas yeah. um, Rings of Power is very much just like things are happening at this monotonous pace. Action scene, action scene. Things yeah. are continuing to happen. I could see that. Yeah. And that kind of, it bugged me. Um, that made it harder to watch. I think harder right. to get into. Just less variety. Yeah. No, I see that. I have no counterpoint. Yes. Nice. Two to uh, zero, Matt. <laughs> uh, what else? Well, I would want. I, I did want to talk about. Um, I tried to make a note of little plot holes and internal consistency problems and things. Mm-hmm. Um, Rings of Power had a couple of little ones, like um, the Bronwyn beheads the orc and then brings it into the tavern. And is like, hey, there's orcs here. Let's just all hang out and spend the night here, and then we can go leave in the morning. <laughs> like uh, <laughs> that's how you die. That's how yeah. you all get massacred in your sleep. Yep. <laughs> Um, things like, uh, Adar sends Arundir back to Ostirith, but lets him have all his weapons back. And then mm-hmm. he immediately starts slaughtering his soldiers. That stuff like there, there are some little details like that where yeah. it's like, okay, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, I think house of the dragon for me had, it had a whole list of moments. Um, I have like six or seven moments where I was like, this does not work. And I think this is a problem that's going to contribute to some, some long-term issues with the show. Okay. So, Episode four, House of the Dragon. Um, Damon takes Rhaenyra to the Pleasure House and um, people see it. And this is all part of his master plan. Yep. And Otto comes to King Viserys and says, hey, uh, you don't want to hear this, but Damon banged Rhaenyra. Mm-hmm. Um, Viserys' first instinct is, you're telling me this because you're corrupt and you want to secure Alicent Station and uh, crush Rhaenyra's claim. And then five minutes later, Rhaenyra has to convince him of that exact point. So he fires Otto. Uh, it completely goes back on on what his character yeah. had just said. Hmm. And that was, uh, that was a, a weird little glaring moment of inconsistency that I think like we're supposed to... Because it, it, it felt like the goal was, okay, Viserys is discerning and sees through this. Um, we've seen him as kind of an ineffectual but likable guy. Mm-hmm. But when it comes down to it, he really knows what's going on. But then also Rhaenyra is the force that's driving it, and she's the one that needs to press it. And I think yeah. they, they wanted to have their cake and eat it too in that sense. And I think this is kind of the overarching problem with a lot of these house of dragon moments. I'll mm-hmm. get into a couple more here. 
is they try to have their cake and eat it too in the interest of having you like too many of the characters right um or give too many of the characters death um depth that's what i meant to say yeah oh i'm running out of steam a little bit yeah let's keep going though i got i got energy i got stuff to say so there's the uh episode six um we get there's the scene um between laner and rhaenyra uh in king's landing where he's drunk and he's kind of just you know he's he's been a wastrel Mm -hmm. a bit of a loser um and then after uh luke takes aemon's eye um, there's a similar, a very similarly constructed scene where he comes in and he kind of reaffirms his commitment to the marriage. He's like, look, I've been absent. I've been part of the problem for all this tension because I haven't been present. I haven't really fulfilled my duties as father. Let me step into that role now. Mm-hmm. Let me, let me try to be a better person. I really liked that. I liked the performance. I liked that version of the character. And then 20 minutes later, uh, Damon leaves. murders a servant so that he can fake his death and leave, which yep. in the books, he just he gets killed by Carl. Mm. Uh, it's just, it, it's very explicit that that's exactly oh, what happened. Oh, that kills people. <laughs> very good. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I like that change from the book. I think that's much more interesting than, oh, little gay lovers quarrel. Yeah. Kills them. Um, I think that's much better. I don't think those two scenes work in conjunction. Mm-hmm. I think they're trying to have their cake in, we like this character, and eat it too in giving them a much more satisfying conclusion to a yeah. story. And I think I think that was a problem. Yeah. I don't like the making the the song of ice and fire misinterpretation the thing that pushes that is Allison. such a, finic, that's a that is a that's fickle. a sitcom level yeah. nonsense right there. I I hated everyone hated that. Yeah, that was a that's a a real bad moment in the entire show. Yeah, and I get it because we need to sympathize with Allison's claim. We need mm-hmm. to like people on both sides. But again, I think it's emblematic of this overarching problem that they're trying to get us to like too many people. Yeah. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. This is not related to that, but Laris did not need to have a foot fetish. No. That is gross and weird and unnecessary. Yeah. That I mean, he, does, he has bad feet. So I like, to me, I think it's. I get it. Yeah. I don't like it. It's, yeah. That is not the most interesting thing we could say about yeah. that character was, and his motivations. Like when she just put the feet up, I was like, okay, that's weird. Like, cause I heard about it mm-hmm. before watching the episode. She like put her feet up and I was like, all right, that's a little weird. Yeah. And then the next part, I'm like, oh yeah, no. Why? Yeah. That's not suggested think, at all in canon and is not interesting. I think that was one of those things of like Game of Thrones. Some, like something I felt like the show did a lot is going for the shock factor for the sake of shock factor. Yeah. Sometimes you just don't need to. Yeah. Sometimes it totally works. Yeah. Like the uh, the C section scene. Yeah, that and, was that was necessary. And that the was miscarriage. Gross and gratuitous. That was all gross and gratuitous, but it kind of served the thematical. Yeah. And it worked. Yep. Yeah, I felt like there were some things where they were like, this is a Game of Thrones show. We have to do some weird and disturbing Game of Thrones stuff. Yep. Like, instead of a nice, clean beheading, let's just cut through the middle of his head. Yeah. That, that wasn't quite necessary. Yeah. It's kind of cool, but yeah, it wasn't necessary. Tongue. Yeah. yeah. A little tongue flapping. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, the, the first episode, they worked in some gratuitous sex just to mm-hmm. rem- and violence just to remind you, hey, this is a Game of Thrones show. And then mostly didn't have a lot of that. Mm-hmm. There was a little bit of sex, a little bit of violence. But... I will say they uh, really stopped doing the sex sex position. Yeah, that's a, that's probably a plus. Yeah, toning down that. Yeah, um, that was obnoxious. Yeah, they did one big scale action battle against the crab feeder just to mm-hmm. remind people. Okay, trust us, we can do scale action. Yep. But then also dropped it after that. Yep. Uh oh, and then uh the 
the the rainies emerging on Maylies during the coronation felt like a moment we're supposed to be cheering for. Yeah, go rainies, yeah. get out of there, look at that dragon, incinerate. But like, yeah. do you know how many innocent people died when uh, that dragon that's what burst I was up the, the entire floor? time? Yeah, no. Why are we rooting for this? They're trying to have their cake yeah. of let's have an awesome moment and it just in this case sweep the crumbs under the rug. Yeah, that that scene should have been done very differently. Yeah, I um, uh, was not a f- she. Honestly, I'd probably love her way more if that didn't happen. Yep. Because like I was like, oh, I don't like her. And then yeah. she was a badass for the next episode. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, I like her. But yeah. like, yeah. That was, that was bad. That was poorly That also didn't happen in the book, did it? No. She escapes on... No, it's... um, She's just with Corliss. She's not imprisoned or anything mm. and has to escape. She's just hanging out with Corliss. And they, yeah. they come over and they're like, hey, we're on your side, sort of. Yeah. Um, and then that brings me to the, the Aemond Vagar moment, which again, it kind of felt like they wanted, okay, we need our shocking violence, our inciting incident for the war, but we still kind of want to like Aemond. We don't want him to be just a pure murderer. We want to, it's the, the dragons are really the violent ones mm-hmm. here. So that scene in a vacuum, I'm fine with it. Yeah. As part of the broader context of the show with, I think this ongoing problem throughout it, I have some issues. I will say, since you mentioned inciting incident, and I haven't had a chance to say it yet, the entire show I've been like, yeah, there's going to be a war. Like, I wasn't, like, super, mm-hmm. like, excited, like, ramped up, like, ready right. for a war, like, the entire time. I was just like, like, all the way to the end, I was like, I, all right, there's going to be a war. Like, this will be kind of cool. Like, mm-hmm. we'll see what goes on. Rhaenyra's face. <laughs> I feel like when they hired her, like, when they cast her, I was uh, like. Cast them. Cast them. Emma Darcy prefers they, them pronouns. Got it. Uh, when they cast them, they're like, hey, you've got a lot of acting to do yep. over these five, six, six episodes? Five. Five episodes? She's technically credited with six because she does the voiceover at the beginning of one. They. They. Dang. Keep ourselves, both of us. <laughs> we gotta do it. Uh, I swear they told them right at the beginning, mm-hmm. work on your this is war face. Yeah. Because <laughs> holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> like they just look right at the camera I was it's like, like i'm i'm scared <laughs> yeah the, a lot of shows and a lot of movies and a lot of tv shows and different things try to do that have the like the character's intense face cut, yeah like looking directly at the camera staring into your soul mostly it's like okay yeah that's yeah. fine it's whatever but but oh ooh, emma darcy oh, oh god <laughs> brutal i am like that was that was i literally had chill like I, I think i actually had the goosebumps i'm having the goosebumps thinking about it <laughs> that was that was amazing that was astounding yeah. yeah they earned their paycheck on that one yep yep agreed had been earning their paycheck for oh yeah no honestly they should I mean, get a bonus <laughs> great 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 at their job that so but good. that that single shot alone yeah just makes me really excited to see what's to come yep Oh, so good. Okay. Yep. Um, what else? Uh, briefly with the writing, should we talk about dialogue at all? Uh, honestly, it's got it's hard to compare the two because mm-hmm. they're very different in how they dialogue themselves. Okay. Uh, honestly, one thing that I don't really like about Game of Thrones is having also the dragon. You keep well, saying both, Game both. of Thrones. Like, okay. honestly, uh, is some things changed just for the sake of it being a different culture? So, like, I was four and ten instead of 14 mm-hmm. uh name day like things like that that are just your age and just your birthday 
Okay. But they chose, but it, like, and it, I don't I like it because it makes the world feel more real. It's a, yes. it's a very slightly different way of speaking. Why would they talk the exact same? Well, they don't have to talk the like, there are like other cultural things that can be like, well, I mean, like baptisms way. are a yeah. thing that are only Christian. Like, so they have like that yeah. kind of thing, like stuff like that they can celebrate that is in the world. But like, I don't know. It just, it's, it's okay. it, 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 it it's the same thing that I have with sci-fi. Okay. Where it's just like, I, I get it. Mm-hmm. different words, different turns of phrases, mm-hmm. but like it pulls me out of it. Okay. When, when it's said. Interesting. I can, I can appreciate that. Um, but for me with house of the dragon, particularly, I felt like uh, in service of creating a uh, more immersive experience. I think that that little work at the margins just to like fix the, the little dialogue details mm-hmm. and it, the mask never really slips. I felt like in Game of Thrones, especially in the later seasons, it started to slip. It started mm-hmm. to just sound like Hollywood dialogue in yeah. places. Um, but this one, they kept the the slightly more serious without sounding quite stilted. Right. Um, and those little details at the margins, I think, really yeah. mattered. And I, I will say, yeah, they, I, I do. Uh, I did appreciate the like the way they talk was very consistent. And mm-hmm. uh, with Lord of the Rings, like it's basically English. Yeah. But with a few different things. Yeah. The Numenorians get a little high and mighty. Yeah. Sure. I would say overall the the dialogue is more dense in House of Dragon where every yep. line means more. Sure. But I think it's easier to follow Rings of Power. Okay. And that's, yeah, I can see why that'd be a plus. But I just, again, I felt more immersed with mm-hmm. House of the Dragon. And I think a large part of that is just the way the characters talk to each other and act around each other. Um, one thing with writing in general, and I didn't get to, I, this is one I really wanted to talk about mm-hmm. with Lord of the Rings. Okay. Actually. Okay. Here's a big, here's a big overarching thing. And I think this fits well enough with writing mm-hmm. house of the dragon feels like a spinoff show. Okay. Rings of power feels like a show within the world. Okay. Because so with house of the dragon, it feels like I, I could, it could be the same show. Like mm-hmm. it's very like visually and yep. like everything is like very much the same yeah. as game of thrones same composer miguel yeah. sapochnik was big toward the end of game of thrones yep and so same like it just intro. feels like this is just a game of thrones show yeah. like it's like it could just be the next season basically yeah uh rings of power is structured very very differently from the movie right uh because of the movie it's just like oh we have goal we have two thing goal ever go do a thing yeah but like it's more game of thronesy and more like kind of broad and like how's that kind of yeah sprawling yeah okay but there's so that. many things that they did in rings of power that made it made sure it felt like it was in the same world mm-hmm. and the big one that i think about is the harfoot uh the the gathering they do mm-hmm. where it's the guy uh it's Sadik, standing in the front mm-hmm. talking like making kind of a speech making yep. jokes at the expense of some of them and then sure. all everyone go every once in a while going hey like that thing yeah. felt like bilbo's 100 or uh, yeah. 111st birthday okay. yeah. it's like that's hobbits yeah that is the hobbits that i know from this thing and the same thing with like elves like yep. that's rivendell like yep. that's that's the elves that i know and it felt yeah. so much like that where it was like these are in the world when game of like house of the dragon just felt like it's like this is uh, the the next I don't, I don't know. It, yeah, it's really it, hard to explain. It does feel like it's kind of just a plot thread that you could have splintered off from yeah. a sprawling Game of Thrones universe. I think yeah. it's just that it was it it was I think the structure being different made it stick out more mm-hmm. that like with Game of Thrones or with House of the Dragon, it wasn't hard to make it feel like it's the same world because yeah. it's the same 
thing, basically. Yeah, okay. With Rings of Power, it's different, and they very much could have accidentally, like, forgotten a lot of the world things for the sake of making it different. Okay. Okay. I I can appreciate that. That's what I was... I do want to point out, why are you out here complaining about 4 and 10 and then correcting yourself to get 111st right? Fair enough. (laughs) But it's his 111st birthday. It's true. But also, yes, I did think about that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they also only do it once. They did it like eight times in (laughs) in House of the Dragon. That's true. Fair. Okay. Also, Aragorn is 86. Yeah. So not 6 and 80. Yeah. So it's only like when you get past 100... Well, also, it's it's hobbits, and hobbits say things slightly different than humans. Oh, that's true. Because they're going to have their own little regional dialects. That's stuff. true. Yeah. 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 Also, uh, again, sorry uh, to mm-hmm. keep on going. Go. Yeah. Because uh, I feel like this... I, I got to write for a while, so you, you hit me. Um, I feel like there were so many smaller comments that fleshed out lore and religion in Lord of the Rings. Okay. I don't. I think it's not really Game of Thrones or House of Dragon for not doing it because they'd kind of already no. done it. Yeah, and it again, that's a more just human story, not a world story. Yeah. So you get, especially with the Harfoots, I feel like there mm-hmm. was so much lore with the Harfoots. Yeah. Uh, like them talking about uh, referencing the feet, like getting hair on their feet, mm-hmm. like that is a like it's kind of like a, a more nicer version of saying pubes, right? Or like hair on your chest, like because right. as they get older, they all get hair on their feet. Yeah. Talking about like why it's nobody, everyone stays off trail, no one gets left behind. Like yeah. what that means with kind of their traditions and stuff. What was another one? Uh, I think there was a dwarven religion thing that happened. I don't know. There was just a lot of things. I, th- I think it was, a, it was yeah. a lot with the Harfoots. Yeah. That I feel like they there was the a lot of like culture. Wow, we're getting a lot, a lot of culture. Like mm-hmm. this is I this is really interesting, and I am enjoying. Yeah that i think it's because they had very little story to tell with it that they were like well, we've got to fill it with yep. something and so yes it's yep. filler when it comes to story but also like it but, adds again yeah i was just saying how that stuff's important for house of the dragon the moments to sit and breathe and yeah appreciate the people in the world yeah i think that's also probably symptomatic of uh the rights issue that they could right. have just invent the harfoots and kind of model them roughly on the hobbits but the other people like they have to tread a fine line of not yeah. stealing from stuff they're not allowed to have access to yeah that's true so yeah, I felt like the dialogue was more intelligent on average in House of the Dragon. There's some yeah. stuff in Rings of Power that's really dumb. Yeah, um, I want to complain about the Halbrand, Halbrand and Celebrimbor stuff a little bit because mm-hmm. it's basically like this guy walks in and so if you know the the text, he's supposed to be convincing and helpful and help Celebrimbor. But this is Celebrimbor. This is like the greatest smith since right. feanor this is and they do a, a good job who, setting that up they do a good job setting it up and then they immediately do the old like the new guy comes in and is like have you well, tried what this? If we did this other way yeah everyone's like oh i didn't think of that yeah it's just they it, it make him seem like an idiot really yeah. fast um the way i described it in my notes is uh the writing of the scene seems to be metallurgy dumbed down to its most inevitably screenplay reductive level of meaninglessness mm. Yeah, Celebrimbor says, oh, I didn't think of that way too often. Yeah. And it's it's disappointing. Yeah. All right. Okay. Any big overarching stuff you want to say on writing? Uh, don't think so. Okay. Uh, what's next? Uh, visuals. This will probably be a shorter topic. This is definitely what I had more of. Rings of Power blows House of the Dragon out of the water with visuals to me. Like, Interesting. Okay. I feel House of the Dragon is so much more just like monot- uh monochromatic yeah no it is a lot of dark interiors yeah and it's just like i it like 
I get it. It's a lot of stone and not a whole lot of lighting. Yeah. But like Rings of Power was just so vibrant and mm-hmm. and each like and not it wasn't like everything is equally vibrant vibrant. No. It's like very much white and gold with the elves. It's very yep. much like blue and gold and sea and like Yep. Like with that with the Numenorians and then yep. the Harfoots were obviously not like they couldn't really do a whole Yeah, lot sort it. of earthy, but they've got little flower colors yeah. and natural natural decorations. Um I agree the effects were not fantastic. The snow troll looked uh, horrendous. I described it as ugly but not in a good way. Yeah. Uh the uh the warg fight scene was oh. definitely uh Amazon trying to be like, look at this really cool thing that we can CGI and the entire time I'm like uh Wargs looked better in two thousand two. Yeah. <laughs> um I, I definitely think that that's something that uh they struck like so uh cgi wise absolutely house of the dragon yeah and, the dragons and, looked amazing yeah. and in their defense you don't make house of the dragon unless your intention is to make the dragons be the best looking part of that show yeah. and they didn't do a whole lot of visually interesting stuff so yeah. they have the money and the time to focus on dragons have to be the selling point here yep and i think uh something that rings of power struggled with is they didn't have anything to build on house of the dragon already had dragon models that they just had to perfect exactly uh this was them doing warg from scratch right uh and so it definitely struggled from that but just i think the vibrancy uh there were a lot of effects that looked really good um like the walk or when they were sailing into numenor Mm -hmm. i was flabbergasted by what i was seeing like they made that look amazing like it's also not hard to make buildings look realistic sure yeah um Okay, I w- when they sailed into Numenor, I was like, ah, there's the Amazon glossiness I know and hate. Mm. And I think it's a lighting thing. I think the lighting looks artificial yeah. when they light a CGI scene. Yeah, I think House of the Dragon, it's not perfect when they do something like that. But yeah. they're a little better about obscuring it and mm-hmm. not leaning into the artificiality of it. Yeah, lighting is one of the hardest things by all all CGI, by all effects artists. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, accounts lighting is the hardest thing to do with cgi so i can see how that would be yeah consistently a problem yeah i just like it just felt it was it was more fun to look at at rings of power okay than house i won't of disagree with you on that um i felt like house of the dragon did what it needed to visually more mm-hmm. effectively like it was more consistently meeting its bar yeah um but it was probably a lower bar in the first place yeah because at least with, like, Game of Thrones, when they went to the wall, that was very much a different, like, it was bright and yeah. snow and stuff. Um, but honestly, all, a lot of, like, like King's Landing was very much more vibrant than Winterfell. Yeah. And stuff like that. But in this one, there's just, like, everything was just dark and gray yeah. and shadows. Yeah. And, again, I think that's just incidental to the story they're telling, where yeah. it's a lot of people talking and... Yeah. grim castle rooms yeah um which i want to talk about that a little bit uh so miguel sapochnik was one of the showrunners for the first season but he's actually stepped down and stepped away yep um which i think is partly a bad thing because he's he was a creative force behind some of the best parts of the back half of game of thrones mm-hmm. but also a good thing because he's the guy who was most known for the really dark unwatchable episodes yep. unless you watch them in a completely darkened room with yeah. no natural light from the outside or anything yep also um, oled versus qled that was something that people uh, found out yep. that like I think QLED is the new one like mm-hmm. it's how how it could back like uh, TVs are backlit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it was made it was like when they were editing it they were ed- you know 
it's kind of like one of the big problems that uh, big production companies have is they have the really fancy new technology. Right. And they're doing it on that and they don't check on older technology. Yeah. Uh, and so that was one of the yeah. big problems with it. It's an issue. Yep. Um, but he stepped away. Uh, and I am hoping that we get some step up from. Um, so there were uh, two directors in particular that I, I noted um, that did some really effective work on three episodes in House of the Dragon. Uh, Claire Kilner um did uh three of the episodes including um episode nine uh, the green council mm-hmm. um which i just really liked the energy of that one or it feels like kind of a thriller it's sort of a very different tone and pace from the rest of the show up to that point did get a little bit into the darkened interiors mm-hmm. problem um but i think was uh still effective and i hope she sticks around for mm-hmm. the next season and probably gets a little more involved um and the, the big one the guy that i'm really hoping steps in um but i think he will have to because he's one of the executive producers is greg yitanis yeah um i don't know if i said that right um i looked up a pronunciation so i'm doing my best but uh he did uh well he did my my hunting scene uh oh yeah which uh visually the guy's got a the eye of a renaissance painter like Mm -hmm. there's an establishing shot of the king's tent at the beginning of the hunt that is just it's this long massive room and you see viserys way off at the end of it and you see characters kind of placed throughout and there's just kind of this constant motion but it's it, there is sort of the stasis to it where it's mm. like this is a place there are things happening here and it's just a i, mix I like of... it because it's a movie <laughs> <laughs> i i don't know why it was so satisfying but it was really cool and there was a there's another there was a shot that really struck me both times i saw it in episode 10 which he also directed where it's uh it, it's kind of it's after rainier's gotten the crown and when she's uh doing the war councils and stuff um, there is a, there's an L cut of Rainey's and Corliss's conversation about they need to support Rhaenyra. She's the only one holding the realm together. And it cuts to, with their audio still playing, cuts to Rhaenyra sitting at the painted table with all of her war counselors around her. And the camera's kind of slowly panning back at about her eye level. Mm-hmm. She's facing the opposite direction from everyone else. And it's just a little subtle thing like, She's the only one going against them. Yeah. And you really feel that like that isolation and the lighting is much better. Mm-hmm. But the, the interior there, her face is well lit and there's it's dark around her, but it's it's well enough lit yeah. that you can see it even if you're not in an ideal situation. Right. Um just masterful eye for it. And I think a a, a better visual scheme than Sapochnik brought. So I'm I'm hoping Yatanis gets gets a little more control All moving right. forward. Yes. See if I have any other list. Uh, uh, oh, I did want to say the orcs look great in Rings yes. of Power. Yes. They, they well, it's because practical. Yeah. They, they look practical and they look like Peter Jackson's orcs, but not derivative of them necessarily. They mm. look different enough to be interesting. And I like yeah. like the the bones and the sun cloaks. Yeah. Stuff like that. I love that whole part that like they finally couldn't get out in the sun, like mm-hmm. doing that whole thing. Yeah. I'll say I had one other note that's kind of disjointed. Uh, forgot about Theo. Oh, yeah. That's a kid. Yeah, he's a character, isn't he? Kind of relevant. Boy, is he. Uh, um, I wrote that he felt the most like a like a real teenage character of, you know, uh, he was he was in the upper echelon of yeah. well-drawn teenage characters where he's like, you know, he's, he's kind of angsty, but he's going to kind of do his own thing. But mm-hmm. he's kind of he's he still cares about the, the group and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the only thing I had to note about not not him himself, but mm-hmm. the uh, cinematography. They had a long take of mm-hmm. him yeah. avoiding. Yeah. And I was like. Like I, I mean, it worked, mm-hmm. but like kind of at the end of it, I was like, that was a long take. 
everyone's got to do a long take now, don't they? Yeah. Like, it's just kind of becoming a gimmick. House of the Dragon did it better. When did they do it? Uh, the birth scene at the start of six. Oh. Carries it all the way up the stairs, goes into... Oh, that's right. It was a long take. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yep. Yeah, I remember that. Action? You have anything to say about the hand-to-hand combat? Uh, uh, we haven't seen really anything in Rings of Power that's not elvish fighting. A little um, bit of villagers or... taken on orcs. Yeah. Uh, I feel like that was very much like a... Um, let's try to remake Helm's Deep, but much, 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 much smaller. <laughs> yeah. And then also Numenorians on horse. Which right. is not really hand to hand. Yeah. Um we didn't really get a whole lot of fighting in like most of the times a sword was drawn in House of the Dragon was a pretty quick conclusion, whether it be yeah. like we'd settle down or someone dies. Right. Pretty quickly. Yeah. I f- felt like the limited action we did get was quite good in House of the Dragon. Like the jousting yeah. was really exciting. I actually learned a lot about more about how jousting works by watching that. Yeah. I feel like every time we watch jousting, it's just like one pass of the horse. Mm-hmm. And like this time it was actually like you pass and you pass, like you pass, you get a new lance, yep. like that kind of thing. I was like, oh, I actually kind of understand what jousting is like. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. 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 Wasn't a whole lot of fighting in really either. Yeah. Again, a lot are kind of set up. Yeah. yeah. I, I was going to say I liked what we did get kind of at the hand to hand fight in um, fighting in Rings of Power 2. Mm hmm. Um, I thought there's a there's a little boss mini boss fight between a Rondir and a big orc in the whole. Oh, yeah, that was I felt really visceral. It felt like they were really trying to hit each other. And yeah, it was kind of nice, smooth, long cuts. Yep, relatively not egregious long takes or anything. But I, I thought that was pretty well done. I thought yeah. that was optimistic. Um, I liked Galadriel going up against the Numenorean recruits. It kind of just felt like she was dancing. And yeah, they were, they were swinging at her like actual people. And she was just dancing. It felt like what an elf should feel like. Fighting yeah, men. exactly. Uh, um, when those four guys tried to fight Sauron and he just, yeah, he just rips through him. Yep. Yeah. When I confirmed to myself that, that was Sauron. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no way any other man, even Numenorian could just like <laughs> lean on a guy's arm against a, a corner and snap it. Yeah. Like that's not, bones are hard to break. Yeah. The, uh, as bad as the snow troll or ice troll or whatever it was, snow troll. uh, looked I think that fight scene was kind of cool. Like the, the teamwork of like yeah. that kind of whole thing. Yeah. I thought it worked well as a character moment. I think it mm-hmm. didn't look good. Yeah. Yeah. what do you think about the endurance test with Durin and Elrond? Mm. That was weird. Yeah. I was like, I don't really like, all right. <laughs> it felt like minimal excitement. Uh, they, they needed something to pad the screen time. And I thought, Oh, this will be exciting. Yeah. A little friendly competition here. Yeah. Yeah. Anything overall to say on visuals before we move on? Uh, or any further notes to add? No, I just think Rings Power looked more vibrant and I enjoyed looking at it more. Okay. I think the highs of Rings of Power were higher, but I think I liked House of the Dragon more on average because I felt like it was more consistently good yeah. or good enough. Yep. All right. Music? Should we talk music a little bit? Yeah. Uh, House of the Dragon was just Game of Thrones. I don't think... Honestly, I personally don't think there were a whole lot of things that really stuck out to me but again i also okay. don't really like i don't notice unless it's like really really good or really really bad okay um i absolutely loved the numenorian theme though bum, 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 yeah like but with like the like they had like the the drums like the like the yep. different like levels i don't know what it was but the moment that started playing i think that's probably what made 
that first reveal of Numenor mm-hmm. feel so much better. It's just because that sounded so just like have been warriors are now royalty like that. It felt like that, it, which it is was, what they are. Yeah, it was effective. Yeah. And I was just like, that is amazing. And then when they tied it in with Galadriel's theme, mm-hmm. like towards the end when they were yeah. like on their way, I was like, oh, was some good, good overlapping that felt very much like the sort of thing Howard Shore would have done. Yeah. He was doing this. Um, I liked Galadriel's theme quite a bit. Mm-hmm. The sort of the yearning leap. And then, the, yeah, there's some cool things you can do with that, that they, they did a little bit. Yeah. But that's it. That's all I noticed. Yeah, uh, I probably liked the House of the Dragon music on average a little better. It did feel a lot like Game of Thrones, but it was mostly new material. Right. I really loved uh, the Valarian theme, mm-hmm. for example. There's a, a great moment where they enter into that the feast at the end of episode five, and there's just an awesome shot where it's kind of tracking with them, um, like facing them as they walk down the stairs and the theme is playing. And I was like, oh, 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 I got chills. I don't know why. There's one theme, and I think it might be Rhaenyra's, that... Did really well major and minor that I noticed. Uh, Maybe Rhaeny- it was Alicent's. Probably Alicent's. Um, Rhaenyra's is the like the the voice going, ah, ah, ah. Oh, that's right. Ah, ah. I think it's Alicent's. Mm-hmm. It was like one moment where like, because I've been hearing it like major and I was like, oh, that's, I mean, I, I noticed the themes. I just don't yeah. really like go like, oh, I love it or like it or mm-hmm. not. Uh, but like it went minor once. And I was like, oh, that was well done. Mm-hmm. That was scary. Yeah, I can play with that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, is there anything else I wanted to say on these? Um, there were a couple of fun sort of experimental moments that they did with the score in House of the Dragon that I think they didn't really get to do with Rings of Power. Mm. Um, the episode four, the scene in the Pleasure House is like just weird percussion mm-hmm. music, like just very different yeah. from anything else that we've heard. And it, it kind of accentuates the the weirdness of that scene mm-hmm. overall, the sort of otherworldliness of it. Um, and then episode eight, the the dinner scene, where after after Vaiman's death and the whole family comes together and they're all given toasts and whatnot, um, Aemon says or Viserys says, "Let's have music." And there's there's music playing and it's diegetic, and then it kind of fades away from being diegetic and it becomes the score, and then it fades back into being diegetic, mm. and it's really cool. It's really well done. It kind of it 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 gets you into the like, okay, we're just in the scene where characters. Oh, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling this emotions and love for each other, and then oh, I'm back into. Okay, these are these characters, and yeah. I, th- I thought that was just explicit, excellently done. All right, I really liked the uh, the the burial music that they used both in episode one and episode ten, um, or not burial, I guess the immolation music. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really good. It, it reflects each other, and then both times it transitioned into uh, sort of the Targaryen throne theme Mm -hmm. which is done by piano originally in episode one and then they they bring it back in episode 10 immediately when sir eric comes with the the crown Mm -hmm. um and then it drops into rhaenyra's theme gotcha good bit of musical storytelling there i thought yeah yeah rings of power had some some nice themes too what did you think of the the setting of the rings poem to music at the end credits of the last episode oh i really didn't like listen to the end credit songs oh okay so on average, okay. All right. I hated the the setting of the ring. I liked the tune just fine, but I hated the the setting of the poem mm. and music. Um, I thought it was just not good. Hmm. I think I did notice that it was happening. I didn't yep. really think much about it. One ring to rule. Them. Oh yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, which they play that theme like throughout the whole show mm. in just little bits and bobs, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Um, and there's not... one nice big payout there was there was one moment where it almost played the ring theme from lord of the rings Ooh, 
um, when uh, Galadriel is watching Halbrand work with Celebrimbor at the forge and she's mm-hmm. her suspicions are building. And I was like, oh, you're just it's like da 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 or something mm-hmm. where it's like just flittering around yeah. the edge of da 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 da. Um, yeah, nice, good stuff. I, I like the music for both of them overall. Right. Um, I think I probably marginally preferred House of the Dragon. Okay. All right. Uh, getting close to the end here, but we should talk about these are both big grand fantasy shows. We need the hype as balls factor. Yeah. These big exciting moments, the Legolas shielding down the stairs, the uh, the the battle of the bastards, and everyone coming together, and the just we need the the big exciting. You're gonna get chills from the raw emotion of this moments. Got any thoughts on either of those? I think the last shot of Rhaenyra. Yep. 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 Trying to think of what there was with. I don't think there were really any like big, big moments, and I think they did that on purpose Mm -hmm. with Rings of Power because like that's to come. Mm, Okay, I had much more notes on big moments for them. Oh, really? Yeah. Like what? Uh, well, for one thing, I got mild chills at the first Numenor name drop, Island Kingdom, Numenor. I was like, ooh, I I knew that was coming. Yeah, I mean, I knew it was coming, but (laughs) I was still like, ooh, Numenor. There, there were a bunch of like gratuitous kind of slow motion things like the the charge of the Numenorians. I was like, okay, I'm I'm into this because it's mm-hmm. exciting music and slow motion, but it's, it's not really. Oh, the explosion! Yeah, Mount Doom erupting. The was Mount Doom erupting amazing. was a big climax. Makes yeah. no sense when you actually think about it. What do you mean? Like the, just geologically, the whole, the whole construction. Yeah, I mean, oh. you, you dump some water into a volcano, sure you're gonna get. An I, well, I actually like watched it. Um, a geologist like a who yeah she was like wrote her master's thesis on specifically like that kind mm-hmm. of volcano and she's like honestly they did their homework like it's yeah. not like it wouldn't be like exactly like this like you probably like it wouldn't yeah. look oh, yeah. like that but like like there are reference there are things throughout it that like that is 100 how that works like whoever mm-hmm. like did that sequence like did their homework and i was like yeah no oh, yeah like i bought it in the moment but it was like okay so we put the magical sword in the elves watchtower and that releases the water and this was supposed to be a thing for the enemy. Why was the water a thing for the enemy? Like, I, I, I don't get why it should have fit together as nicely as it did. But I like the, I was, I mean, I was really hyped in the moment. Mm-hmm. Galadriel should have been incinerated by that 900 degree cloud of ash. Literally but, everybody should have been incinerated. Yeah. I did have that problem. Yep. But everyone that ever does a volcano in movies or TV has that problem. So. Yep. Yeah, uh, the probably the hypest moment for me in Rings of Power was the um, so just after the long take when they are escaping through the woods, um, Arondir and Theo, and it's slow motion and uh, the just sort of choral music, and the orcs are shooting at him, and Arondir turns around and catches an arrow, and they're mm-hmm. going, and Bronwyn's coming, and they run out into the open field, and the sun is rising yeah. behind them, and it J cuts into Disa's song to the rocks. Mm-hmm. Ooh. I got chills just thinking about that. Yep. That was good stuff. That was good. Oh, yeah. Hype as balls. I love Disa. Yeah. <laughs> the the only thing they needed to know about that character when they were casting her is, can she sing? Yeah. <laughs> that was that song was amazing. Yep. That's cool. I want that to be on my workout playlist. <laughs> um. Yeah, no, for House of the Dragon, the, the, the very final Vagar Arax chase was exciting, but it was less of a hype moment and more of a Oh god! The bottom of my stomach has yeah. dropped out, and because I knew it was coming. Yeah. So as soon as Jay said we should carry those messages at the council, I was like, 
Uh-oh. Oh, no. And stopped breathing for the rest <laughs> yeah. of the episode. I knew one of them was going to die when they when they said that. I was like, oh, that's a death sentence for somebody. Yeah. Yep. And just brutal way to do it. Yeah. Know? Yeah. So thrilling moment. The, the moments that got me most hyped were like more character moments. Mm-hmm. The the slow motion shot of Rhaenyra um, walking to the throne room or to the, the painted table after being crowned, montaged with the table being lit and the swords mm-hmm. being laid out for war probably got me more excited than any other thing in either show. The uh, Viserys walking really, really slowly. Yeah. That was a good one. That was fantastic. The music, um, the music pulls a nice reference back to the Game of Thrones king theme. The mm-hmm. bum bum they played that at uh aeon's crowning yeah i was kind of used that i was like oh god i forgot that's a diegetic song (laughs) (laughs) yeah they mostly they mostly avoid the game of thrones music except for the intro but Mm -hmm. we'll talk about that in a second um but yeah yeah uh the viserys i have in my notes viserys entrance into the room into the throne room hype as balls good stuff good stuff Yep. But again, they're character-driven moments. They're yeah. not big, exciting fantasy moments. Yeah. So it kind Those of rem- will come. it kind of remains to seen if be seen if they can pull that off. Yeah. All right. You want to talk briefly about respect for source material? You can. <laughs> you losing steam over there, buddy? I am very much losing steam. We're also at three hours. For oh, I'm this having so far. fun. I'm excited. James <laughs> is gonna hate this. Yep. Uh, House of the Dragon cleaves pretty closely to Fire and Blood. They change a few things like uh, a lot of the changes they make are making the characters more sympathetic which i kind of complained about but also kind of understand Uh because they need a tv show that's going to capture people's attention and appreciation yep so it's it's necessary um they can rely a little bit on being a game of thrones Mm spinoff so a kingsguard guy shows up five minutes in and you know who he's there who he is why he's there why he's guarding the princess what his old deal is yep um also he's harwin strong and he's magnificent and sexy Arwen Strong? No, Harold Strong. Yep. Yeah, there, there's some fun little new details, like the the whole the dragon keepers and their kind of little procedures and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's not something we've ever gotten to see before. The uh, council, the small council, little, little balls. The little balls. Yeah. Little balls in the small balls council. It's fun. That are weirdly sharp, I guess. Uh, let's just smash his head. That was, you gotta smash really hard to die <laughs> yeah. like that. Um, yeah, that scene in the book is treated more ambiguously. He dies at some point between that meeting or is thrown in a cell and dies in a cell mm. um, just of being old and in a black cell. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't think that was great. Yeah. There are a couple of, of uh, speaking of house of the dragon, there are a couple of ambiguities in the book that are just kind of given explicit treatment in the show. Okay. Um, the, the burning of Heron hall um, mm. is it's just, it's a fire. It happens. Um, there's a lot of people that could have started it. Maybe some people speculate it could have been Laris. He's definitely a sketchy dude. Would he have actually burned his own family? We don't know. Yeah. Making it more explicit, I think, is there's a way to kind of tease around the edge of it, I think, where it's like, yeah, it could have been him. But I I don't like it being so explicit. Yeah. Um, I think. And I think that's my biggest problem is they're a little too willing to just answer questions. Right. House of the Dragon. Rings of Power is pretty far from the source material for reasons we've discussed. Well, far from... It's actual source material or the source material that it can't do? Both. Okay. Um, so partly it's far from stuff because it can't rely on yeah. actual Lord of the Rings or Silmarillion. It can only do the appendices. Partly they're compressing 3,000 years of history yeah. into five seasons of a TV show, mm-hmm. which is interesting. There are some, I think, fun touches. Mm-hmm. Uh, the A lot of references to the idea of the unseen world, which is a Tolkienian thing. Yep. 
Um, and I think a lot of, we, we touched on this in the themes really, especially a lot of the themes really respect Tolkien's vision yep. um, and philosophy. Um, and I think, I think that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a positive, even if a lot of the plot details and a lot of the characters are drawn very differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we can take away that they're at least authentically the spirit of Tolkien. Yeah. Yeah. So I got there. All right. I have like two miscellaneous things. Intros. Should we talk intros? Uh, Yeah. What I thought they with Rings of Power they had like a a forge casting thing where it was like the words Rings of Power and they were like pouring mm-hmm. like casting it because like they were promoting that and like because there was yeah. like a company that was like on TikTok that was like yeah we're the ones that did it it's like so cool like that we like got to do it and something like that I'm like mm-hmm. where where did that go I don't know what happened to it probably didn't maybe it was never a thing to begin with oh freaking liars yeah. I actually uh, kind of liked the intro. It felt thematically resonant with the grains of sand kind of dancing around. Yeah. Well, no, I definitely liked like what it was. Yeah. I have a strong feeling that the patterns that were forming weren't actually from the song. Like, yeah, cause there, there was, was a couple points where like, stuff, like there was the two trees you could see, but well, also like, cause that's when you put music under a plate with uh sand, like mm-hmm when you do it, like it'll make forms based on like what this note is going through it. Oh yeah. No, it wasn't that. Yeah. I thought it was more just about like, look, here's the order of the universe and the grains of sand go into the thing. Um, mm. And then it, it sort of, it connects back to the, Ayunulandale, the creation myth um, with the, the music and then Melkor's little tentacle snakes in, mm. but yeah, yeah, I thought it was fine. Um, I thought the, the main theme was just kind of nondescript. Yeah. I, I skipped it after the first one. Yeah. Same thing with Game of Thrones. I, I Yeah, I, I like that Game of Thrones theme, but I, I don't think it really works there. I honestly, so both shows did this. The first episode did not have the title sequence right. for each of them. And I loved the non-title title of House of the Dragon. The It's it's got like this raw, sharp-edged music and it just puts up the big Targaryen logo and mm. fire. And I was like, okay, this is exciting. This is different. This feels more focused. And then, and then they then cut they back, back to the, yeah. the attraction of the Game of Thrones intro is it's for a big sprawling show and we get to mm-hmm. see the big sprawling world. This one is not that we need yeah. something focused and sharper edged. Yeah. So that would have been the way to do it. Yeah. Now they're locked in. Yeah. So what else? This is a random note I wanted to sneak in somewhere. Um, Damon looking around for the unclaimed dragons and then singing a little high Valyrian song while he goes. Thought, oh, yeah. I thought that was so cool. Yeah. Because like if you're walking in the mountains it's good to make noise so you don't startle the mountain lions and they attack you yeah and of course you want to sing valyrian because that's sort of the Mm -hmm. racial memory mother tongue of the dragons yeah so anyway yep okay i do know that damon's dragon had a deviated septum that's why it's kind of it has more like a whistle oh it's a weird really specific thing that the sound designer chose to do good to know all right anything else I mean, I have these discussion questions, but I think just we can say big picture. Which one do you like? Did you like better? Which one are you more excited about moving forward? And then who won? And then who who won? Uh, so which one did I like more? Mm-hmm. Rings of Power. Okay. Which one am I more excited for in the future? Probably House of the Dragon. Okay. And which one won? I really want to give like a non-answer because there's still so much left to be seen with both of them. Yeah. But for what they set out to do, I think House of the Dragon. Yeah. I think, I think they more clearly met their own expectations. Yeah. I 
mention this up top, but I'll mention it again. Uh, the mere fact that they're willing to make a big sprawling Lord of the Rings epic show and it's not an abject failure is a huge achievement in its yeah. own right. And I don't think that should be understated. I honestly, I really think that the thing that is dragging Rings of Power down the most is just their lack of mm-hmm. material. Okay. I, I think House of the Dragon was just a genuinely better show on pretty much every aspect. Um, and I enjoyed it more because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed Rings of Power just fine, but I, I think House of the Dragon's a clear winner for me. Partly just as a show itself, partly as capturing the cultural imagination too. Yeah. But the real window of course, winner, of course, is Andor. Boo! <laughs> Get out of here. Bring it back. <laughs> All right. Do we end this like a normal podcast episode? Yeah, and then we do a little cold open recording, yep. but I have that in Shouts my notes. Shouts we? We shoutsed. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this monster of an episode. Big episode. I had a lot of fun. Preston's just kind of falling asleep over there. I feel great. I've got, got a ton a of energy. i got a party to go to as well. Heck yeah. That'll be alcohol, I think. Probably. Hope there is. Yep. We're adults. Yeah, we can we can drink. Yeah, uh, check us out on TikTok at Just Us Losers Pod. Check out our Twitter and Instagram, also at Just Us Losers Pod. Uh, Facebook, don't know how to get there. Just go to Facebook, <laughs> search us. Uh, we have a Gmail, Just Us Losers Pod at Gmail dot com. Uh, where let us know your thoughts. Which one do you did you enjoy better? Do you have disagreements with any of our takes on any of this? I'm sure you do. We said a lot of things. Some of them wildly contradictory. Yep. What are you looking forward to in season two of each of them? Uh, that's just us losers pod at gmail.com. Which one of them is secretly building up to the Bionicle origin myth? It's Andor. It's always Andor. Yep. That one I'll go with. Yep. Yeah. I think I've got uh, everything, everything said there. Appreciate you sticking around for just us losers explorations. Yeah. It's a good time. Yep. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye. 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 Bye.